0: the best picture cast i'm your host karen b i completed my goal of watching every oscar best picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one each episode myself and revolving co hosts will discuss assess and evaluate a different best picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list this is not a who should have won podcast we are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years as a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Get us on any of our socials. That'd be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You're going to find us at Best Picture Cast. So just three words, Best Picture Cast. Type them in there to search, or you go at sign best picture cast on any of those social media accounts rate review subscribe follow along with us if you disagree we want to hear from you we uh, we love to interact and today might be one of those days we'll see we're here with episode number 44 we're up to our hank aaron number and that's going to be for a beautiful mind A contemporary-ish movie. It's not. uh, We're not throwing it back to the thirties or the forties today. We're going to do one that we were we we lived through here and that we uh, experienced as it came out. So that should be interesting as we go. There'll be a touch of nostalgia, I'm sure. I'm going to start by introducing our co-host here, and we're going to go first to a man who, if you've listened to BPC before, I'm sure you know his voice. He is Artie B. Artie, how are we doing today? Hi, hi, hi. Doing
1: well. Very excited.
0: There he is. We're uh, out here in the RDB tundra here, all bundled up. Yeah, yeah if you could see us, we are bundled. Yes, it's it cold. Right. This is uh, winter in the Northeast <laughs> here. It's a, it's a wintry movie sort of. You know, it's it's there's some there's some cold moods to it. It's not quite The Shining or The Revenant or Dr. <laughs> Zhivago,
1: but it's 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 a it's a Northeaster. And the cold, crisp air makes for some real nice audio. Absolutely, absolutely. And
0: uh, we're going to go next to uh, our next co-host here, who is here for one of those. Cold recordings. I believe it was Amadeus, and he is Brendan B. Brendan, how are you today?
2: Hey, good. Happy to be here. Beautiful night. Beautiful Welcome mind. back. Yes, <laughs> it's been
0: a, it's been a little bit since uh, you were here. I think uh, Chariots of Fire was your last one. Chariots of Fire was the last one. Yeah, that was yes. an interesting night. Another. Uh, uh, Collegiate type movie
2: there. Yeah. Sure. You always tend to give me those. I'm like, not sure why. I guess <laughs> so. well, well, there aren't many
0: of them. Brendan gets all the canvas movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we did mention you were there for Amadeus, which was another cold RDB Recording. Um, I think the coldest one we ever did, though, was an American in Paris. Yeah,
1: the real. It was like real feel (laughs) minus eight or
0: something. Our laptops froze.
1: Yeah, all our phones went to zero after ten minutes. We're like, what's happening? The laptop froze. We had to go inside, warm up, and come back out. I was like sitting on my phone like a hen (laughs) to keep it warm. That's right. I think if it starts at A, we got to do it out
0: in the in the freezing tundra here. (laughs) An American in Paris. Amadeus, and here with a beautiful mind. Fourth, I would like to kick it off. To a man you have heard before on uh, another beauty centric podcast it would be American Beauty, but he's here for a Beautiful Mind, and he is Jay Dowski. Jay, welcome back. What's up? Happy to be here again. Yes, good to have you in the mix. Um, usually, you're well known for finishing in second place in these tournaments that we do. Yes. Uh, we have a couple more coming up, so you got a chance to to beat the Buffalo Bills with their with their streak.
3: Feels
0: like Buffalo right now. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. So, there's a couple other episodes you were on was The Gentleman's Agreement. You're up The Lion King. That was right here in these same uh, RDB studios. Mm-hmm. So glad to have you back here. You're kind of a, uh, you're always like kind of my de facto 90s guy. So this isn't, this is a little <laughs> after the 90s, it's but it's close. 90s adjacent. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's yeah. close it, enough. <laughs> it ends
0: in 1994, so. Yeah, work. well, the, oh, the, yeah, the narrative of the movie yeah. does. Yeah, for sure. And we're kind of getting—we're uh, getting the start of a century, the old Y two K type of craze. And now, one thing that I think is—is is kind of fun here too—is like last week, as as you may know, we covered the English Patient, which was the winner for the year ninety six. Artie, you were with me when we discussed Titanic this season, which would have been ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Brendan, you were in your very first episode. I think our fourth episode or fifth episode ever was Shakespeare in Love, which was the ninety eight. Yeah. And Jay. You were here for the 99 episode, your first one, which was an American Beauty. So we have kind of like a good collective understanding of the movies that led up to this Best Picture winner. We haven't done Gladiator yet, which would have been the one for 2000 in between. But I think we have the right, uh, the right four minds here to, to talk about this, this beautiful mind flick. And I just want to introduce our fifth co-host today. He's my ex-college roommate, uh, Charles. Charles, say hello. <laughs> had to, <laughs> yes, do, it. Great. Had to do it. Had to do it. Okay. <laughs> Charles, good
1: one, good one Charles. Charles.
0: Charles seems to have disappeared. <laughs> to <prodigal> um, roommate we <laughs> <laughs> We'll see after how many of these IPAs if he wants to come back and make his return <laughs> with his flask. Yes. Yeah, so a beautiful mind here. Um, I, I think I want to start this one off with a, a little disclaimer. Just because I was a little surprised at this week at, at the reaction that this movie received on Twitter. Oh. I guess I didn't really realize that the internet hates this movie. Um, wow, I didn't realize that
1: either. Yeah, I didn't then, either. I found so, out today.
0: I mean, I'm going to speak for myself and at least one of us, um, possibly all of us, but if you don't like this movie, you think this is a terrible Best Picture winner, you know, I'm I'm glad that you tuned in anyway. And I know, speaking for myself and like I said, at least one other one, we're going to have some positive thoughts here about this one. So maybe take this as an opportunity. If you you want to hate listen and just disagree with everything (laughs) we say, that's great. But maybe just take this as an opportunity to look at this movie in a slightly different light under people who, who appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have our criticisms in the mix as well. Um, there is definitely, as I mentioned before, going to be a touch of nostalgia. This is a movie I saw in the theaters, and we'll go around the room as to when everyone saw this for the first time. Stick with us a little bit, and, and maybe by the end of this, you'll, you'll at least move it out of your bottom five, or at least one of the,
1: one of the Twitter responders came through it already. Right, yeah. If you're going to hate listen, hate tweet at us, too, while you're listening. <laughs> we love live tweeting. But also, understand, we are watching these movies in a vacuum, not in relation to other Best Picture winners or other movies that were up that year. It's just this movie. Watch it. What do you think?
0: Yeah, well said, Artie. And as we say in the intro of every one of these, this is not a "who should have won" podcast. So, all the Lord of the Rings people who are sharpening your swords and your spears, all you Christopher Nolanites who uh, who, who thought Memento should have been should have been awarded with nine Oscars, we're not. <laughs> we're not. Commenting on Nolan, we're not commenting on Lord of the Rings. We'll have our little Lord of the Rings blip at the end here, and there'll be a whole Lord of the Rings episode when we get to Return of the King, so you can you can get excited for that at that time. Not yeah, the right Lord of the Rings, though. <laughs> well, well, yes, yeah, and I mean, those, that's and
3: you're not, and those are valid movies to love, movies yeah, right, love yeah. The yeah. Rings, like, I agree with you, yeah. right, yeah, and it also the thing, like, with us, it helps is when we watched it today or yesterday, like, some people. Like, if I remember a movie and I think it sucks, if I watched it the next, like, tomorrow, I might have a different opinion on it. We have the opportunity to watch it, like, real recently, so any old feelings that you may have about it, you may just need a second watch, you know, or a third watch.
2: And, and this movie, for me, falls into that category. I, I really do think so. Um, so.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's start by going around and, and seeing when people saw this for the first time. Already, we'll,
1: we'll start with you. What was your, what was your first experience with I saw it in theaters at the awkward age of sixteen, I believe I was. Um, I remember loving it. Yeah, loved Russell Crowe at the time. I think I believe he was up three times in a row for this Gladiator and the, inside. the, and the Insider, insider yeah. right? Which is a good movie.
0: Yeah, and had LA, L.A. Confidential before that, too. I don't know if he was nominated for it, but he was
1: in the mix. So my initial reaction when I first saw this in theaters a while ago was I loved it. Jay, what was your first experience with Beautiful Mind?
3: Oh, so at the movie theaters with my dad, like around this time, I was going to see movies a lot. And my dad would take me. I saw Crouching Tiger in 99-ish. I saw American Beauty. From 98 to 2001, I was seeing a lot of these, like best picture nominees i made it a point to go see all the best picture nominees so this i saw in the movie theaters yeah i thought it was awesome brendan how
2: about you i don't remember specifics about seeing this in the movie theater i did see it and um i remember my reaction initially was oh wow and then as days went by it didn't sit
0: with me well and oh really uh, Back way yeah
2: and i think i was you know freshman in high school yeah whatever
0: age that is i have no idea yeah, because I mean, I, I would have been a, <clears throat> I would have been a senior. So you're probably right. a freshman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I also saw it in the theaters. You got to remember too is when we talk about the the nostalgia factor of if you put yourself in the time. And it's 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 interesting too though because on this podcast we talk about some movies that were that came out before our parents were born. You know, when we go back to the movies from the '40s. You know, 50s, 60s, we've, you know, we have a couple in the 20s that we're going to talk about. Before my grandma was born. So we do, we're do. we guilty of this, too, where we don't necessarily have our heads in, in what was going on at the time. And, and listen, 60 years from now, Beautiful Mind will still be a Best Picture winner. Someone may discuss it then at that time, too. So you can't just put yourself in the time, also. But when this movie came out, Gladiator was, like, the biggest thing, especially for my age and demographic. You know, I've already said, you know, you're 16, 17 years old. Gladiator's the year before that. So, you know, we're sophomores juniors in high school, gladiators out, and winning best picture. So it's like, the, it's a thing where like the Oscars are also reflecting what, what people, uh, what the youth is watching too. And A Beautiful Mind comes out, and, and I'm sure there are people who are in their 20s today who are not necessarily a conscious and around, and they'll look at A Beautiful Mind like, oh, here we go, it's just a, a, a biopic about a mathematician. Because in the last 10 years, we've been inundated with biopics. That wasn't a thing through the '90s. Like biopics weren't like overdone by studios, at least in that in that decade. They Russell Crowe.
2: They were beginning to be overdone. Yeah, it like, was. It would, was. It would begin from there. But right. Russell
0: Crowe coming off a of Gladiator and then playing a mathematician, which was kind of like a, a wild okay. thing for everyone, and it got asses and seats. And we'll go over, you know, the box office numbers. as this movie did really well in theaters? Yeah. And
2: I remember someone saying at the time, "I've I've never." looked to verify this information, but Russell Crowe gained a lot of weight for this role, and you know he, he was a little bit more of a method actor um,
1: in yeah. certain roles. I wonder, wonder what role he's gaining all the weight for now. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, he probably took a role that needed him to gain weight. He's, <laughs> he's like, wow, he's, I just lived my life.
0: <laughs> he stopped being a method actor when the, when the role required him to lose weight. Gladiator <laughs> was his peak <laughs> physical performance. This time around, Brendan, I'll just go to you first. We're just gonna get our initial thoughts out before we, we do the official deep dive here. You said that things have changed a little bit from, from your first Remembrance. Had you not seen this movie since it came out? That's correct, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So give us a, a thoughts about, about this experience.
2: Yeah, so, so you'd given me this movie, and I was kind of like, all right, whatever. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't hate that movie, but, uh, you know... I didn't really care much for it. I, I don't know what I was looking for the first time I saw it. Like I said, I was a freshman in high school, but I watched it this time around. And what I found in this movie is, you know, when you called it a biopic, it's less of a biopic and it's more of a story of romance. I mean, beneath or under everything going on, which is the story about this physicist, is this love that is growing into something bigger than what John Nash ever expected.
0: And his speech at the end really, really sums that up. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Romance and and family dynamic too. Yeah, um, because it's more than just what ends with romances is building a family and the and you know the, the the struggles and burdens that go along with that and 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 everything. But Jay, how was your experience? This, this is a movie that you've you've seen quite a few times over the years.
3: Yeah, uh, watching it again, you know, for this, I really just picked up more things, picked up on more things because I read about the movie before i watched it and then i watched it and watched it like having known a few things back you know behind the scenes or whatever or whatever ron howard was trying to do and so i watched it with like an examining eye and i was impressed with some cool things that they decided to do so
1: yeah already how about you hi i'm ron howard dude i <laughs> do the stupid impression of ron howard and the other night kieran sends me a video of him watching the movie but, like, there's a little audio commentary at the beginning, and he's like, is this serious? Did you, re- like, did you record this? This is spot on. And it's Ron Howard going, hi, I'm Ron Howard. This is my audio commentary. Oh my <laughs> I no. was like, this is unbelievable. It sounded like already imitating him. Uh, my, I've seen it in theaters. Um, I've seen it a couple times since then throughout the years. Probably not front to end, but if I catch it, I leave it on. Uh, and m- most recently i enjoyed watching it i the story is very compelling it's a really human story i like it
3: it is one of those movies when you catch it on tv i do leave it on cuz yeah. i don't think there's really like a boring there's dramatic parts to it but in it, it, there's not like a boring part for me, you know, you're it just always, keeps it, moving forward, you know, through this very dramatic and heavy at times, but at least the, the pacing is really good, I feel.
1: You're always, a, if you catch it on TV, you're catching it in the middle of some story, even right. it's a sub-story or the main story.
3: Right.
0: Yeah, one thing that just c- continues to fascinate me as we do these, these podcasts and, and prepare for these is how the the runtime number is essentially meaningless. Two hours and 15 minutes means so many different things based on the movie you're watching. I mean, this is, this movie's two hours and 15 minutes. It did not feel it at all for me. I mean, there's probably someone listening is going, oh my God, it, was, it dragged every second. But I, this movie, just it has no wasted time. It, it cooks through this guy's life. Then there'll be movies that are like short of two hours, like a Tom Jones, that'll feel like five and a half hours. You know, I'm just like, good God, like when is this going to end? And I gotta watch this thing again, like and and you know movies like The Godfather, which are you know north of three that that move that move quick through. So it's 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 just wild to me how that, that runtime really means something different no matter what
1: movie you're watching. The word that came to mind a bunch of times when I was watching this was concise. Yeah, like there is nothing wasted; everything serves a purpose and moves it. Yeah, and I think there was a a
0: conscious effort in this one to get the runtime down because I think there was a, probably a version of this that was going to be probably closer to three hours. And there was that was never going to see the light of day. Ron Howard seems very very focused on the idea of getting this thing out. So I had a couple of scenes you'll see like those montages with like him like walking around campus. Yeah. Those are those yeah. things that were probably going to be a little more fleshed out that they just kind of condensed into into it a little bit, made it a little more concise as he said. Already to Chris Gallant's
1: point, hey, any movie you could shave twenty minutes off.
0: Yeah, Chris yeah. G. Chris G.
1: Um, yeah, so my
0: my first viewing of this movie, as we said, was was in theaters, but I probably watched this about five or so years ago with my roommates, and one of them had never seen it, and one hadn't seen it in a while. So when I watched it, I was watching it very much in the eyes of someone who has never seen it before with that big twist there in the middle. So this time was kind of like the first time I watched it where like knowing absolutely everything that was gonna happen, and and didn't kind of look at it in any level of suspense, just straight up watched it as as a film. And interesting thoughts came out of it. And one thing that was absolutely 1000% confirmed is my love for Roger Deakins as a just a brilliant cinematographer. I think I came into this one, I was like, you know, there's, this is going to be very regular camera work. I, I, I don't see Ron Howard. Listen, Ron Howard's not my favorite filmmaker, to be if I'm being completely upfront and honest. I, I think he's kind of like a Steven Spielberg light. He's like the Pepsi to Steven Spielberg's Coca-Cola. I, I, he's just kind of meh. I, I like some, Frost Dixon's a great movie, Apollo, Apollo 13, they're great. But there's just a little something missing from them that takes it over the top. So I, I kind of expected this one to not be filmed in the greatest in the greatest lighting. And then I'm watching. it, I'm like, oh wait a minute, this is this is this is giving me some vibes here. And I'm like, oh okay, it's Roger Deakins. It's, there's Shawshank Redemption, like like structure shots, and you see Fargo and and No Country for Old Men, and all all the, all the other wonderful movies that he's done. 1917. So you can, you can see that there's
1: a big mind behind the camera here with this. I disagree. Really? All right, <clears throat> we have something to get into here. Nice. I love it. Oh boy. <laughs> I was watching it, and I, it was like, I I thought it was just textbook average vanilla camera work. And today, actually, like two hours ago, I looked up, I'm like, who's the cinematographer of this? And I was like, oh my God, am I wrong? Like, it's Roger Deakins, but I I don't know. I think Ron Howard, Roger Deakins' style is he does what the director tells him. Mm. That's why he's able to work with all these different directors and do all these different kinds of movies. I just think Ron Howard kind of neutered him a little bit with this movie. Interesting. I did nothing about the camera work stood out to me. I wasn't overly impressed. The lighting was impressive. I'll give him that. He does that, but um, I don't know. I was not into the cinematography. Ooh. One thing that, and I think this goes into cinematography because it affects the
2: overall image, is the style. And uh, too often you see 50s movies where they're just like, the 50s, and they throw it in your face. I thought it was toned down style. It was very natural 50s attire, which goes into the cinematography and
0: how everything's going to eventually look. Oh boy, we have some fun stuff to talk about here. I'm, I'm excited for this. The lights and the cameras and the action are starting already, so we got to get into the deep dive. But before we do the official deep dive here, we have to talk about what we're drinking here today. I'm going to kick it off to you, Jay. What do you have over there? What did you bring to the occasion?
3: Um, because it was going to be cold and I needed to warm up, I brought an IPA, the Brooklyn Winter IPA.
0: Brooklyn Winter, that's a, a, a classic
1: one here, a nice little local beer. Arthur, what do you have over there? <clears throat> this is my favorite beer of all time. Whoa! Hands down, Lagunitas, little something, something. Hot
3: takes already. If you <laughs> Keep haven't, on had,
1: coming. If, if you haven't had it, go get it. It's awesome. Artie
0: loves his uh, his Lagunitas for sure. The, the little something, and that's their best. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's nice seven five. Uh, a nice juicy IBV there. I'm rolling with same ABV 2 a seven point five. But uh, Brenda, what do you have over there? I went with the old classic American feel.
2: You know. This movie put me in that feel. Grab a- oh, there's a theme to this? <laughs> <laughs> Grab the good old-fashioned Budweiser, King I of love Beers. It. I okay. Love
3: it. I thought that was because those are the beers Nash Bridges would drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a can of beer there. I also, love it. I am wearing BPC merch. Theme. Yes, yeah. Jay
0: has the uh has the what we know as the Warrior Poet. It's the Braveheart sweatshirt. Forest green. You look great.
3: Forest green color, really, for the winter.
0: That's an awesome sweatshirt. Fantastic. You have a matching uh beanie cap there too a nice yes. winter winter hat and you you too can own bpc merchandise check it out in our in our description in the episode it's all movie themed so it's not you know you're not walking around wearing an obvious podcast shirt they're uh, they're all uh, art by grant z our very own grant z who uh, kind of has done a, an image for a bunch of the movies that we've covered so far so please check that out in the uh, in the description of the episode. For me, I have here, uh, last week if you listened, you'll uh, know that I I had a beer that I've had for the first time in a brewery that I had never heard of before. And it was a New Jersey brewery, the Bolero Snort Brewery. It's a bull-themed brewery. You can see the uh, bull ring there and the logo. You know, I said since we debuted it last week, I'd never heard of it. I enjoyed it. I had a little session last week. We'll kick it up a notch with the 7.5er. I have there one hoof in front of the other IPA. bolero snort brewery and they're located in new jersey as we have a new jersey movie here
1: all right you that, know, filmed around that, princeton that can yeah. looks like it was the can art looks like it was made by nickelodeon's production team <laughs> it does have a, it does have a nickelodeon look to it okay i think it's time here we're going to do the old deep dive thaw out the old laptop if you hear ice breaking that's just us getting the laptop off the ground <laughs> Here we go. We're headed back to 2001, and in
0: 2001, the president was George W. Bush serving the first year in the first of his two terms. Bush, who had previously served as governor of Texas from 1995 to 2000, the son of the former president George H.W. Bush, was met by one of the most significant tragedies in American history as the attacks of 9-11 took place just nine months into his presidency. We weren't going to talk about 2001 without 9-11 coming up. Here we are in in New York and whatnot. Don't mean to kind of have a a, a sobering, bum-out moment here, but it was something that we were all affected by at this time. And I think if you're getting into the mentality of where people were in 2001, it's hard to not reference 9-11. Already we were both seniors in in high school. I remember I was in
1: second period, cafeteria, free. No, Kieran, do you remember what we did that day? Me and you left all of our scheduled classes, went to the library, and sat there with Mr. Malillo and just watched the TV. Yeah, with after like, it went down, yeah, it was like two other students and us. Just we, we left class. No one was looking for us. No one cared that we left yeah. class. oh, it was chaos. It was, it was chaos. chaos.
0: But when the announcement went down, I was in the cafeteria, and it was like you can't you, know, you can't really quite hear. And I don't know how whatever whatever anyone else's cafeterias were like, but ours you can kind of vaguely hear it a little a lot of. Chaos and un- uncertain things going on. Brennan, you were freshman at, a freshman at Saint Dom's too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, at Saint Dom's. Yeah, they did an, uh, an announcement over the loudspeaker. Do you remember a classroom?
2: I think it was history, and I remember one of the because it's our first week in high school. Yeah, it's, right, September of your freshman year, right? It's like a it's like a big thing. One of the kids turns and goes, "Do they do this every day? They give news announcements over the loudspeaker." Wow. <laughs> you're yeah, like, you're like,
1: son, I think you're underestimating the the, the magnitude. Of the news. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was chaos though. Also, the scariest part of that day is every like five minutes or so they would call a different kid to the yeah. yeah that made yeah. it really. And it was really, like yeah, yeah, it like
0: yeah. it was it was a scary time. Jay, you were yeah. a, a junior or senior? Tenth grade. So you were in tenth four. grade, yeah. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, just in, yeah. in class trying to
1: trying to figure out what what's going on. Yeah. We can make some light of this with the Mike Piazza game that came right after that. Yeah. There that was, was a, like, one of the best baseball-slash-life moments I think I've ever experienced.
0: Yeah, I think most of the players involved with that was a Braves-Mets game. The Mets were very much out of it. The Braves were headed to the to the playoffs. And, but there's a rivalry. Yeah. So the the yeah. Mets always play them hard. Yep, and mm-hmm. it was the first sporting event back. Yes. And it was held at Shea Stadium, which is... it's you know, no longer the building's no longer there. And uh, Mike Piazza at the game winning home run. And I, I think that a lot of the players who were involved in that game said it was one of their you know, one of the greatest games they've ever been
1: a part of. And it's it plays on TV around here often. It's it's crazy. It's Mike francesca's favorite moment of his life, basically. Really? Yeah. He'll yeah. come up again in this. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah and, and talking about two thousand one baseball and the two thousand one World
0: Series nice segue already. The Arizona Diamondbacks defeat the three-time defending champion New York Yankees in seven games on a walk-off base hit by Luis Gonzalez off the normally lights-out closer Mariano Rivera to win the Diamondbacks' first championship in the young franchise's history. The World Series was pushed back a little later than normal due to those September 11th attacks, leading to the first World Series game ever played in the month of November. Current events also created a particularly tense atmosphere as games three, four, and five were all played in the Bronx, just 14 miles away from the World Trade Center, the Yankees pulled off three dramatic come-from-behind wins in those games, with late inning home runs off D-backs closer beyond Hyun Kim. Derek Jeter would earn the nickname Mister November with some game-winning hits there. Talk about games! Yeah, talk about games that just <laughs> ridiculousness. Talk about games that are on TV all the time, too. The Yes Network <laughs> has those those Diamondbacks games playing all the time. Were Randy just,
1: Johnson and Schilling on that team? They were, and they were the co-MVPs of that series. Uh, that, I that's yeah. why they, I was going to ask that, too.
3: I was just thinking how ridiculous that Yankees team was for four years. That's so unfair. Five years, you know? Yeah, I mean, they were well, they three were the in best. a row.
0: Lose the four in a row by one pitch. Unread. Wild, and they were, they were three outs away from winning their fourth World Series in a row in five and six years, which is yeah. so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. would be their last kind of little stint there. Things would, things would they wouldn't win again until 2009. And they, after those dramatic games in New York, the Snakes bit back, however, when the series returned to the desert, winning games six and seven, behind the arms of co-MVPs Kurt Schilling and the big unit Randy Johnson has already alluded to there. Johnson was the winning pitcher in games 2, 6, and 7. So he was the winning pitcher in games 6 and 7, which Pitch is really odd thing. Pitch relief in six. Yes, uh, in 7. So he started in 6. Oh, right, right. And came out out of the bullpen in, in game 7. The home team won every game in the series, as, Jay, as you're saying. is just the wild Damn. stuff. Uh, that had happened only twice before, and both times by the Minnesota Twins in 87 and 91. Wow. The 2001 World Series <laughs> featured the first time the Fall Classic was played in the Mountain Time Zone and was the first professional sports championship for the great state of Arizona. The Diamondbacks became the newest MLB franchise to win a championship, winning the crown in the fourth season of existence. Oh. HBO made a documentary on the dramatic series titled Nine Innings from Ground Zero. I mean, the Rays were uh, inaugural at the same time, right? Yes, they came in with the Rays, yeah. And the Marlins were, they were probably like in their fifth year, so they, they won pretty, pretty quickly too. Jay Bell scored on that winning run.
1: Ex-Pirate J-Bell. J-Bell the Pirate. Yeah. I had a, wow, that's I had a right. lot of his baseball cards. Always disappointed yeah. to get a J-Bell baseball card. <laughs> he was a lot of doubles, a lot of J-Bell. Like J. eight cents. <laughs> I love
0: you. Diamondbacks managed by Bob Brenly. Hall of Famers who participated in the series include, for the D-backs, the aforementioned Randy Johnson. For the Yankees, Derek Jeter, Mike Piscina, Mariana Rivera, and manager Joe Torrey. I'll drink to that. The Billboard number one song of 2001. It is "Hanging by a Moment" by the incredible no. Lifehouse. No,
1: wow. Hanging by
0: a moment stars here stars with stars you. Stars. Yeah. We know. It. Hanging by a moment by Lifehouse. As now, you hang
1: from your ceiling, right?
0: <laughs> this comes with a, a bit of a caveat here because "Hanging by a Moment" was never actually number one throughout the course. It was the Billboard year-end number one. Oh, but it's, it's an accumulator. It's cemented it too. You know, so it was on. It was in the top ten more than any other song. It never made it to one. There was so always you, something better. If you ask me what the actual number one was, I would I would kind of defer to the number two, which was "Fallen" by Alicia Keys. So that one had actually reached the number one spot and was a two. it. so I think, that in my opinion, that's kind of more the number one song. Between
1: of, those of two songs, movie. one is a classic and one is forgotten.
0: I, I don't see a ton of people talking about "Lifehouse" these days. Personally, I, I may be, you know, I may be a little they, off. But I don't know. They're due for a comeback. Well, they uh, have those other hits, such
1: as... They do have one other hit. And, you, know, you and, and me, and other people,
0: and I don't know... When. No, that's a song. That's not a hit. <laughs> oh, that was, a, that that was that a What's hit. the title uh, of it? They
2: did release a full album. You and me, and <laughs> the people? I don't, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Fallen by Alicia Keys won three Grammy Awards in 2002, including Song of the Year, Best R&B Song, and Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. So that kind of... How, many, of how many did Lifehouse up. win? Uh, they probably won, like, New Artist or... MTV Alt Alt rock Award. band of the year, <laughs> grunge wannabe song of the year. This is what the new kids are listening to. <laughs> I did actually really like that song.
1: You did, personally. yeah. Hanging by a moment that was a good one. It explains hanged. a lot about yeah. the current situation of our musical tastes. <laughs> okay. Should have known, then. Other.
0: <laughs> so you think he's finding a way to rip on me for being a country music fan? Other Billboard top hits of that year include "Drops of Jupiter" by Train. Oh, that's a good song. "Let Me Blow oh, Your Mind" by Eve. And Gwen Stefani. That's a good song. Thank You by Dido, which is also known uh, is also known Stan. from the uh, yeah the chorus of Eminem's stand. Well, now we know why Lifehouse was number one. That's twice that, that uh, twice that stand comes. Uh, twice in a row. Stand.
1: That comes Eve off. song is better than Hanging by a Moment. The Eve song's good. When, when and, you say uh,
2: Eve, I thought you
0: meant Eve Six.
2: I forgot there was also an that's Eve. That's the Ginger
0: Band.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also,
0: Ride with Me by Nelly, former minor leaguer. That is a sick that's song. Yeah, that's a good tune. And one last one I got to throw out there because this song got as high as number five in the Billboard charts and was the year-end number fourteen song of the year. Stained, it's been a while. Great song. Stained was number five on the pop <laughs> Billboard charts and the fourteen yep. ended the year. It was oh
2: all over the radio. I remember
0: that. <laughs> what a time to be alive! They were probably like, <laughs> but mind blown. Like, what the hell's going on? I saw Stained open for Corn at the Nazca Coliseum. And if you would have told me that they would have a number five billboard hit song, I don't think I would have known much about That
1: speaks to the state of the mental health of teens in 2001. Well, now the guy, Aaron
2: Lewis, Lewis? is big on the country scene. He
1: does country, yeah. He's on
2: the
0: country scene. Okay, the Best Picture winner for 2001 was A Beautiful Mind, directed by Ron Howard, produced by Ron Howard and Brian Grazier. The adapted screenplay was by Akiva Goldsman. It was based on a book, A Beautiful Mind, by Sylvia Nassar, on the life of John Forbes Nash. Music by James Horner, who we also discuss in the Braveheart and Titanic episodes. Cinematography by Roger Deakins, who we discussed in the Shawshank episode and we'll discuss again in the No Country for Old Men episode. Film editing by Dan Hanley and Mike Hill, who were frequent collaborators with Howard. They were also nominated for Frost Nixon and Cinderella Man and they won for film editing for Apollo 13. Costume design by Rita Ryack. Beautiful Mind is starring Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, Ed Harris, Paul Bettany, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, Judd Hirsch, and Christopher Plummer, pod favorite. Nominated for eight Oscars, was the winner of four, including Best Picture, Best Director, Ron Howard, Best Supporting Actress, Jennifer Connelly, Best Adapted Screenplay, Akiva Goldsman. Also nominated for, but did not win, Best Actor, Russell Crowe, Best Film Editing, Best Score, James Horner, and Best Makeup. We got a makeup nominee in the mix. So, Beautiful Mind Guys, as we said, quite the hit in the box offices. It was, it was budgeted at $58 million, it grossed $170 million domestic, over $313 million worldwide. That's a good it, ROI. Yeah, it did reach number one on its 29th day, despite being released the same weekend as Lord of the Rings. So it beat Lord of the Rings in the box office at least one week, which is a, that's definitely an accomplishment. Those movies were pretty popular. Now, I do want to say, just for all the hate that this got on Twitter, it is on the IMDb Top 250 at number 149. So it's not like this has gone completely forgotten. So the, there's a lot of people who call it dated, I think, or, or, or forgotten. 149 on the IMDb. That's ahead of Raging Bull, which is 151. Ahead of Chinatown, which is 152. Ahead of No Country for All Men, which is 156. Yeah, but that just discredits this list. Of course. And we've discussed this here yeah. a bunch of times leading in. But... The list is also comprised by the same people that are calling the movie irrelevant. So, I mean, we, we know the flaws of the IMDb list here, but I don't think, you know, there's plenty of movies we've discussed that are nowhere near this list. So it, it is something to think about.
2: I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not going to hate on anyone's opinion, but I just think that there's some real tough subjects here that are dealt with in the movie and honestly rewatching this i, I might have if i didn't have to finish i might have stopped not because i didn't like it but because it was it was shaking me up that the whole middle section i really break this movie up into three different parts and that whole second part where he's in absolute turmoil uh it's tough to get through because it's so painful i mean it's painful for him it's painful for his wife i mean even for his colleagues around him, I mean, everyone is just in this turmoil. I would just ask people to maybe, to maybe, re, you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it, but maybe reassess your opinion to the extent that maybe it's just hitting buttons that you know are uncomfortable to, to you know, have have hit.
1: That's a good point. It's tough issues to deal with. You know, it might hit home for some people who just shut it off, or you know, know someone like that, and then they can't really get through it.
0: Right. Yeah, and I don't think that this movie is cavalier or abrupt or presumptuous about mental health. I mean, it's it, listen, any kind of mental health issues are going to be tough to portray on the screen. And there's good it's always going to kind of feel a little bit like the filmmakers are a little bit out of touch with what might actually be the case with some of these instances, which makes it hard for the viewer too, especially someone who might be close to that. So, right. You know, they might see a Hollywood biopic starring Russell Crowe, and they be like, you know, you're going to give us a movie about about mental health here. You know, that that turns me off. So that might be a little bit of the case too, Brendan. I think. He- and I
2: think I think the thing too. We talk a lot about with you know movies not always being true to history. You know, and you got to the movie take the movie as it is. Not you know, I I and I think in the same vein, whether it's an accurate portrayal of schizophrenia or not, you got to let the movie be the movie. I don't think anyone. Even Ron Howard would purport to push this movie as a info info movie. They're not on... showing it in a
1: psychology class, right?
0: Exactly. No, that that's that's a, that's good. You brought that up there, Brennan, because I think it needs to be mentioned here that there's a lot of aspects of this of, of this movie that are not in line with John Nash's actual life
1: or schizophrenia.
0: Yeah, he he never actually had any visual hallucinations in real life. That was right. That, it was, was, audit- it was auditory. Everything was
1: auditory, right? But for movies like. Showing Russell Crowe hearing things is not the same as showing him seeing things. It's no. much easier for an audience to relate to visual hallucinations. And it also right. comes down to, like, what is the purpose of the movie? Is the purpose of this movie is to give you this exact
0: biopic of what happened to John Nash exactly? Or, or are we going to kind of just dis- dis- yeah. explore some things? In we're telling, we're this. telling a story. Yeah, right.
3: Yeah, I think a, a lot of the stuff in the movie, I think they took a lot of liberties as um, compare, comparing to the real life stuff that I read about him.
1: For sure. After the movie, he saw a screening of it, the first screening. Uh, someone asked him if he liked it. He said, I really liked it, but that's not me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I have a quote here from Ron Howard in, in regard to, to this some is of that. My, This I, is my quote. This
0: is my quote. I won't say it in the Ron Howard voice. <laughs> it was always our goal to try and present schizophrenia in a personal way so that the delusional characters are symbols or manifestations. It's all a bit more allegorical. It's not a pure case
1: study. It's not a clinical presentation.
0: Yeah. That's very key to remember here. Perfectly yeah. said. He, yeah.
1: He's not making it for psychology classes. He's making it for an audience. Right, right. and that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. You can't look at it through that light. Because it's... That's why <laughs> right I was intention. admitting it's right.
2: inaccurate.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the other criticisms this movie get to is like, it, it didn't explore any of
1: his bisexuality. I heard that was all based on fake reports in the late 70s that were trying to discredit him. Oh. That he never actually had anything homosexual going on. But who knows? Well, there yeah, was. who knows? And whether he did or he didn't, you know, you're, we just said
0: you're not making a movie exactly based on his life. So you could have included that stuff right. without it working. He also had a,
1: a love child with a woman who put it up for adoption.
0: so Which, which they didn't did, include either. And that's, that, yeah.
1: that kills a lot of the vibe of the movie.
0: Also, the movie doesn't go into a lot of the, the separation and divorce between... Alicia and, and John, too. They were divorced now, for, like, 40 years. A couple of... Expl- yeah. yeah, well, they were divorced for 40 years, but they were together through a lot of that Oh, really? Years. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, essentially, w- what happened was is during where the, the section of the movie where it portrays her leaving him, you know, she actually left him. Right. And I think as he started getting him, himself in order and able to come back to, to society, you know, she moved in with him to help him. Though they weren't married, they lived together and they, you know, maintained a romantic relationship. They remarried ceremoniously in 2001. They had been together. A Got it. That seemed a like a weird time. stat. And, and Howard said that he didn't, he did. He wanted to include that section of their relationship. But it just would have led to like a three, three hour movie. And it just didn't, wasn't enough time for the story they were trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now as far as the, the homosexuality, the bisexuality. One of the things, and again, this is IMDb trivia here, so we take it with a grain of salt. One of the filmmakers' explanations of why they didn't go that route with the story was is they didn't want to get into the difficult situation of where they're having homosexuality parallel with... Mental illness and insanity, mm. yeah. and then worry about the other things that are going to be. They did not want you're, people you're, you're, to you're think you're stepping on landmines. A, all of it. They there. don't want people yeah.
1: to think there's a link between schizophrenia and homosexuality,
0: right? <laughs> or something that that went on in in '91 with Silence of the Lambs. You know, yeah. we talked a little bit about that in our sounds of the Lambs episode, where you know you're you're compi- uh, comparing like someone a transvestite with a with a serial killer. You know, and 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 all the all the uproar that that called So the, they just stayed away from that section of a year. I, the same I,
3: thing with, like, uh, they said from 1970, he didn't take meds anymore. But in the movie, she, he keeps taking meds, taking meds. And they said, um, I think Gold, uh, Akiva Goldsman said that he didn't want to, like, kind of endorse that you should <coughs> go off your meds. <laughs> and, you know, you have schizophrenia. You right, know, yes. like, so we had to go that route. So, yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, they did. I actually looked for that because I, I, that was how I remembered is that they were – it was, like, against – or it was an anti-endorsement of of medication. Yeah, and they actually do it cleverly. He stops. He stops initially in the '60s, was or early '70s, whatever it was. And then later on, there's a scene where he says, "You know, I I do the modern." Uh, he's explaining his. I do the newer meds. I yeah. do the newer meds, right? Yeah. That's, Clever that's line says. of dialogue. So they they were in no way pushing a, an endorsement
1: for. You know, no medication. Yeah. It was a safe Ron Howard move. Uh yeah, but but <laughs> he that went was crazy with this one. He hey, went PG hey, thirteen. You, <laughs> you could you
2: could call it safe. You could call it safe, but it was the right move to not so that it didn't take away for the meaning of the movie.
1: It right. Damn it, I don't want to do this. It's very vanilla of Ron Howard because like an artist would be like I'm doing what I want to do. Ron Howard's like, mm, you know what? Let's make everyone happy. He's he's very he's very involved and concerned with
0: like case studies and and how yeah uh, 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 you know, how people respond screen
1: test screen testing. he yes. will yep. change oh,
0: yeah. things based on that. Right, yeah. but so, you could call him vanilla, but that is not an easy movie to sit through. I mean, that as I said before, it hits buttons. Yeah. So Brennan, you're talking about the the two halves. It's funny. The second half brought me in. Yeah. I was the first half. I was like, I I was watching and I'm like. Mm. You know, I'm, this I might not, I might have be looking back with rose-colored glasses on this movie. This movie might not be what I thought it was. Then, when you get the twist and the reveal, then I was like, I was like, oh wow! You know, now we're getting really interesting here. Now the the mood has changed, and there there's they're giving you a lot more to think about here. And so, I, so while well, that was kind of uh, on on the tougher end for you, Brendan, I think I was really
1: starting to get mentally stimulated here by this this sure. section of it. I completely agree. I thought the beginning part was like. The very opening, specifically, I was like, all right, this is not quite what I remember. This is kind of cheesy. Yeah. Got stronger as it went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jay, I want to ask you this one. They filmed it chronologically. Yes, yeah. I guess we should have mentioned
0: that one of this. This like entire is, film yeah. was taken. Yeah. So he aged as. <laughs> then they screen he it,
1: and Ron Howard's like, "Wait a minute, we need 10 percent new new footage." Jay, I want to ask you this: Do you think that
0: this movie was influenced at all by a movie that we mentioned briefly in our 1999 episode, *A Sixth Sense*? Do you think that the twist and the phenomenon of the Sixth Sense played into the the
1: twist of this one?
3: Um. No. <laughs> no, you don't think so. No. Um.
1: <clears throat> it's an interesting point i I, think I, did, I, did I just find swear. how
3: fa- how fascinating it is that they took such a liberty like we said he never saw you know any uh illusion you know he it was only auditory but they made him vis- have a visual and it was like this i I'm, as i was watching it knowing the reveal i'm like how is he like in the car with ed harris shooting bullets in a chase scene and like breaking windows, I'm like, if this isn't real, what's he doing right now? Like, is he just sitting somewhere? Like, yeah, it?
1: Convulsive, like, Yeah, who knows? Yeah, that's, the, that's you're right. That's a good point. Yeah, so we have our like, whole. And, and then story. when I read
3: that, it, that never happened in real life. I'm like, man, they took a leap with this, and I don't have a problem with it. They, but and they like and they're into it.
1: It really sounds... but it's the, definitely
3: not close to the real story.
2: Right. Well, what I liked about that is that they didn't bother to try to explain it. Is that they just they right they took the leap and they just went with it. I think lesser mo- movies would have tried to give some explanation of what he was doing. They would do a flashback or something, and him just like volcing and yeah. like
0: oh, yeah, that's, that's a good somewhere. point. That's a really good point, Brendan. I, I I do agree with that. You you could over over explain that and kind of neuter what what you had done earlier. Right.
3: Also, what I think that does is. It, the, it, the way he doesn't know reality from not that movie this movie like plays with you where you don't know is he really hallucinating right now? Is Dr. Rosen really a german spy uh, Russian spy? and like you don't know is he crazy? is he not like they he, Ron Howard does a good job at like keeping you guessing like John Nash doesn't know either.
1: I'll give Ron Howard credit for a clever trick he does here, so he pays homage to the fact that it was only auditory hallucinations that John Nash was having. Having. He starts off every visual hallucination originally with an auditory signal. So, like, when, before you see Parcher, he jingles his keys, and then it's like, and then you see Parcher. When you first meet Charles, you hear the door open and a bunch of like clatter. And then with Marcy, when you first meet Marcy, she asks a question before. The camera looks up and you see her. You hear so him giggle he oh or... yeah he giggle, right. So he always does something auditory before he shows you the hallucination. In addition to that too is he also uses the point of view camera before yeah. before showing
0: them together on the screen. So the first you hear the audio, then it's the POV and then they'll be introduced into his world and then you'll see the two of them on camera together. So and he does a ton of playing with POVs and this is a, Deacons is one of one of the tricks he's using too. <clears throat> where we're seeing the world through Nash's eyes. And you get a feel for where Paul Bettany's there and where Marcy's there. And then they'll do some some cuts where you're looking at him as in a third person and you know, Bettany won't be there like boom, boom, like snap. And it's, it's something if you know the movie and you know the twist, you can kind of pick up on those little things. And one of the cool fun little camera things they do too is when he's on the medication, there's no POV shots. So the POV shots only come back again when he stops taking only the medication and, and starts to unravel. And then that's when they see Ed Harris in the woods and, <clears throat> and all that stuff. So there's some, some fun camera work there. It's thoughtful. Another thing that I really liked with the camera work too is, is, is that they're, they're showing the different sections of the movie in different lighting. So the, the very beginning is in this really kind of nostalgic, kind of Polaroid-esque
1: View you get too much things. light in the in the in the shot like it's all yeah almost it's like glossy, yeah. kind of
0: like glossy kind of you know old less timey. yes he's trying to throw you back to Brendan as you said is just taking place in the fifties or what you know as we're, right. we're throwing it back the scenes where he's romantically yeah. courting Jennifer Connelly filmed in a very sexy you know the the right. reds are really popping the light is is shining on her face but everything else is very shadowy by the river everything's very colorful. The Ed Harris scenes are filmed in a very noir style. Now we're kind of getting into that old kind of like spy-like look. When we get to him on the medication, everything is in that kind of dull light. And then when he stops and we go back to Ed Harris, then it gets noirish again. And so they're they're, they're really they're using different camera lenses throughout this whole thing to kind of create mood. Mix that with James Horner's very serene score, and you get some interesting interesting moods in this one.
3: Well, that's why I think like this is the, like the big four or five category ultimate best picture winner like um the score i think james horner's score is incredible the directing the acting the editing the screenplay this like is like a, one of those american beauty type movies where i think everybody came to like brought their a-game to make this one movie
1: I completely agree. I think the score is awesome. Awesome. I I think they could have included Lifehouse
0: in the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that. Jay, you brought up that scene, which is not one of my favorite scenes in the movie. The the action scene with the, the car chase
1: <laughs> into the river. Yeah, listen to the that? music in
0: that scene. It's not. It's so action music. It's,
1: no, it's it's, it's almost slow. like descending into madness. It's sad. It's, it's slow, sad piano. It's and, like what like what action it, scene is I, scored that way? Re, on the second watch this afternoon i was like why does this work why does this work and i'm like it's the music the music Mm.
0: somehow works jay you mentioned this here with with what is going on right now like he's in this car chase but where is he so i think that is a question that they were probably asked quite a bit there with this and and knowing that he didn't actually hallucinate visually you know you kind of wonder what's going on there with that because it does seem very hollywood and even the scenes where where he Ed Harris first brings him into that into that secret office, and there 's like all these bells and whistles that looks like frankenstein 's laboratory, and there 's all these like, like wacky inventions and stuff going on. he gets the the probe stuck in his in his arm mm-hmm. so they did a lot of authentic research on on schizophrenia and how how different people react to this stuff so while they weren 't experiences that Nash had himself there were there was a lot of first hand accounts of what things went and the screenwriter 's explanation. Of that is, is that the the physical body could be anywhere. It could be in a phone booth. Could be sitting on a chair. But the mind is just in another place. We're almost in like a, a matrix type of way, where you know the body's just sitting there, but the mind is completely in another planet. I think it is a little over the top myself with that that chick car chase scene. It just seems a little bit it, it, within the world of this movie. It, we meant I mentioned Six Sense a little earlier. Where I think Six Sense does a better job of covering its tracks where you kind of go back and you can see the clues and you can see the little things where this is just this took a couple liberties and kind of took advantage of the audience a little bit with car chases and gunshots and cars going into into the ocean and um it it was a little much for me there with that
3: but also like we said they don't apologize for it or like they don't go back and try to explain it Yeah, You know, like, let's
1: just go. To your point about everyone coming together and doing a great job on this movie, I think that's why this movie is one of those rare movies that has a twist but is also rewatchable. A lot of movies with twists, like, after a watch or two, you're like, all right, I got it. I'm not going to watch this anymore. Even Sixth Sense, like, I'm not leaving that on. I leave this on. There's something, I think, because of the craftsmanship. You're right.
2: The craftsmanship and the movie is not the twist. The movie is the 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 romance. romance. Right. That's, that's true, you know. And, and the twist and, is a sub-story. And the tale of the hero finally coming to his end not not down the path that he thought he'd lead.
1: Yeah. That's and right. and Kieran, you mentioned the scene of Parcher bringing uh, Nash into the the code room. This is where we have our Mike Francesa moment. Okay. <laughs> He's like uh 3165. 84, 25, 95, uh, uh these, are, these are coordinates. I need a map. Mons, get me a map. Mons, a map. The uh, RBI totals 4, of the late 90s. Forty-five, eighty-one. No. uh, no. we got Bangor, Maine.
0: <laughs> Those, uh, final scores of the Sweet 16 of the, uh, 2002 March Madness. Uh, uh, 02, 31, uh, 13, Alcorn State, upset Duke. Uh, Coach K, tough, very, very disappointing performance from Coach K i'll go on stage good team i picked that game i picked him to win it. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go on, I'll go on brendan you 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 had a you kind of had a little reaction to the sixth sense comparison there what did what did you did you think with the twist
2: yeah the sixth sense i the movie's the twist so once you know it it's maybe may fun to go back and watch it another time to be like oh yeah this and that oh and he's just responding to that but then you do it a third time and it's, it's and you got it, got it.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's like, I don't need to watch this every day. <laughs> right, and this is, it's, to Jay's point, the craftsmanship probably is what it is that is so rewatchable about this. By yes. the end of this, you're going to make me love the cinematography. It's so annoying. You already made good points about the different <laughs> fucking styles. It's so annoying.
0: I mean, Roger Deakins is not a, he's no clown. He's I know, just, and I
1: might have just missed something with this Yeah, no, and, and it's I do just... feel Ron Howard's slithery vanilla tentacles all over it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: I'm like, playing it up. <laughs> it's funny, I always want to hate Ron Howard, and then I watch one of his he's, movies. He's I know. He, he's, know? Great, well, he's This really, is he's the he's issue. A very
1: he's a good director. He's a He's a literary tentacle. I know. It's literally vanilla tentacle. No, he's a great <laughs> storyteller, <laughs> but he has no style. What a double up. He's like a with. stylish director. It's like, here's my story. Well, what do you think? You can't watch He's that movie and say it doesn't have style.
2: I, I just. I'm oh, making does that, have style. Yeah, making, style. Making that point. making that point to me, and it's annoying
0: yeah. me. I, I think Artie's point is is that Ron Howard doesn't have an overarching style. Yeah, his style kind of changes in movies, and I think that little bit, a little bit of that is him trying to be Spielberg because Spielberg does a nice way of while well, he has the Spielbergian touch. He has, a, he has a nice way of letting his movies be their own worlds apart from each other.
2: I, I don't know. I, I feel differently about... I, I think that's a positive to not have the same style in every movie. I mean, if the Beatles did hard, hard Day's Night for 10 albums, no one would listen to the Beatles. The Beatles have a
1: style, though. They just can change the way they yeah. execute that style. Yeah, the Beatles had an, had an artistic vision.
0: yeah. I mean, with what? each project they <laughs> did, I, I think that I think what already's trying to say, or already just say it. I mean, I don't even know yeah, about, no, it's but just... I, it, it is that he he kind of he's he's changing his style
1: based on what he thinks people want to see. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't stick like when you see a Quentin Tarantino movie, you go, "This is a Quentin Tarantino." movie. Well, that's like
3: what they call auteurs, right? Paul mm-hmm. Thomas Anderson, right? Or right. those people that have like an imprint on their own movies? Ron Howard just is a very confident. <laughs> Intelligent filmmaker. Yes, who ma- yeah. makes Abs- Like Apollo 13. Great movie. Yeah, Phenomenal great story. Great storyteller. He's a great yeah. storyteller.
1: That's Nixon. a great, story, that's a great story. I mean, these are, these yeah, are, these are solid he, movies. He knows how to, to tell you a story really yeah. concisely. He really does. <laughs> this is my story. story. Usually uh, not his story but He tells it. you a story. Have He's you heard this guy. one? I went, ham. PG-13. We're going to have cigarettes.
0: Brennan, you mentioned the... The romance aspect of this, which really stood out to me this time too, and I think so much of that lies at the feet of the wonderful, the beautiful Jennifer Connolly. I was waiting yeah, for you yeah, to bring up time your love affair to with talk Jennifer Connolly. I am. I have I, bad
1: news for you. Her and Paul Bettany uh, married right after the movie. I was aware of this news when it happened, and I was not pleased with um, Charles.
0: Her, uh, her, his oh, roommate. Really? Yes, yeah, yeah was, they met on yeah. seventh year and married. Mm-hmm. Married shortly yeah, Yes, he he I was um, game and married her. I was very much in love with Jennifer Connolly when this came out, and uh, the love is uh, is is has not been lost with him. This was she. she boy, does she pop on screen? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, just absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. But beyond that just a really really great performance she's here. a sick
3: I mean, actor you could argue she's... that she makes the best performance in the movie that bathroom scene with the cup of water like is Amazing. heart-wrenching the first take by yeah, the way yeah. the first right. take. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. reminds me of leo and in the trailer like, and it like echoes a little bit as she's doing it You're mm-hmm. just like Phew. and yeah, and she, no like they're not happy
0: one of those shots too that could so easily be over the top and and eye rolling and yeah. it it right. works within the tension of the movie. You. you, you you get the her dark, frustration. The lighting. Well, I mean, that's part of the two yeah, so the we win- see the know, romance window. earlier on, the sexy by the riverside, and like the at the candlelit dinner, the candle dinner oh, and the yeah. the, oh, the wonderful scene with the stars, oh, yeah. running up with the stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you you see that though this guy is very troubled and and just uh, uh, very isolated from the world and, and trapped in his mind, the the romance comes out between these two and and it pops on screen, and then to see them in that dark room where he's. You know, he's impotent because of the, the medication and she's just, she's overwhelmed by everything and everything just comes out of that point.
1: I, I think that's just another example of, of a camera telling the story. There's, yeah. yeah just, just great stuff. And, my, and yeah. my first watch in theaters, the main thing that stood out to me was the romance. Like, I remember that last speech from the first watch. It's, that was yeah. the most powerful part of the movie. Mm, was, yeah. She, uh, her, she's really, I think Jennifer Connelly's awesome when Plummer is breaking down what's happening to him for the first time telling her what's going on her reaction her facial reactions are so real and i'm just imagining like a guy walking backwards with a camera in front of her having and she has to emote so so complexly and she does she she might be the best performance of this
0: what's super important about that scene too Artie, is this is the first time in the movie where we don't have john nash on camera Everything leading up to this point was told through John Nash's point of view, and Jay, as you mentioned before, is the movie never tells you exactly what's going on. Even in this scene where Christopher Plummer's explaining some things, she's doubting him, and the the narrative isn't telling you the answer. The yeah. viewer can still watch that, still rooting for John Nash to be this super so, yeah, spy. He's you telling know, the truth. well when Ed
1: Harris shows back up again, and he's yeah. like, "I wanted you to. I'm so afraid you weren't real." I'm like. Well, now, fuck, what the hell is going yeah, on? Also yeah, also, the help
3: of Christopher Plumbus, plumber is like, do you think
0: I'm a Russian spy?
1: <laughs> he's, like not... he's like lying. He's like lying won't do you any good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right?
0: Like he's a very I like. fought the Nazis in the sound of music. I <laughs> sang my way out of Austria. <laughs> he's not very sincere in like
3: anything. Even when he talks to John Nash, he's not very nice to like sincere to him. Like, you know, you're
1: making it up, John. Like You know, he's like, he not comes... very like down to earth and like,
3: okay, how do you, like, well,
1: do you... talk c- to me. He comes off like, an old school psychiatrist right Which yes. I mean yes. they do fucking electroshock on him like this it's is very well terrible. even before that, that smart. even
2: before that they accost him in the middle of one of his, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, one of his presentations
1: <laughs> he has paranoid schizophrenia. of men a bunch of men in black and if this written is down in my notepad yes.
3: why why do they have to run after him when he's doing a speech And they're modern him? day what? modern day all those
1: people are arrested yeah he's got a lawsuit Loss. Loss. Why are you
2: tackling him? What,
1: what did he do wrong? If you know he's schizophrenic and he's paranoid, why do you all dress like the men in black? Alright, the nitpick zone here, the nitpick zone, <laughs> but, let's save it for the nitpick but, zone. Well, I didn't think out, of this, so we're getting out of our section here. By, by the way. This may be our, our hotspot. The first time we see Christopher Plummer on screen, he is just great looking. He reminds me exactly of the way he looks in Sound of Music. My wife said the same thing. He's just absolutely oozing wonderful. Sex. He's <laughs> he is so great. Very sharp-looking man. Uh, just I had I had no
0: recollection, of or, or knowledge that he was in this movie, me neither. And when he came on screen, I was like, Oh my god, it's Christopher <laughs> too. <Thomas." laughs> no. Yeah, it's awesome.
2: Uh, he has one of the most not not my favorite line, but one of the most important lines of the movie. I don't know if it was anyone else's, but he he sums up what what Nash is going through at a point, and he essentially says. Imagine everything, all your closest relationships, and, and and your and your most dear moments. You woke up and realized not that the people in your life died, or that they, or you can't remember these moments. They just never existed. Yeah, You stole, I mean, that's, yeah. You
0: stole my uh, line. My, oh, uh, I did. Yeah, awful. and and awful. you know, we we get soon after that too, which uh, you know, a heartbreaking line that I didn't catch my first watch here. I caught it in my second watch. Right. I miss talking to Charles. Like, yeah. wow, what a
1: heartbreaking
0: I, line, like, I this did. is a guy who you thought was your lifelong friend who doesn't exist, you know, there's, yeah. there's a comfort, uh, there's a comfort in it, and, and, and Nash himself said that during, he, he's, he, he always would suffer from migraines, during his entire life, severe, severe migraines, and during the times, the periods of his life in which he was hallucinating, those were the times of his life where the migraines were the least severe. So he mm. would not be suffering at all from the migraines. So add, it cut out the emotion, add way. the pain to that too. So not right. only are, the, are, are those images and quote-unquote friends that you've made comforting emotionally, you're also not experiencing the, the migraine pain. So now they're not seeing the, you have a loneliness and you have a pain to it. It's,
1: yeah, that's, that's tough. I don't want to get too far into the episode before we discuss Russell Crowe's performance. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: I, let's go there next. Let's go there next because we have yeah, have oh, Russell Crowe we have even brought up Russell Crowe. I do just want to run off Jennifer Connolly. She had a nice little stretch here. I just want to, to mm. rattle this off a some of actress. these movies. So leading into a beautiful mind, of course she was younger. She was in uh, Once Upon a Time in America was her first movie as as a child. She was in uh, Labyrinth with, uh, the with Labyrinth with, yes. Labyrinth yeah with uh, David Bowie. <laughs> Uh, and The Rocketeer in 1992.
1: And then, 99 Requiem is, for a Dream? Yes. Yeah, so, okay, not yet. That 99
0: mean. is Dark City, underrated movie, and that goes into Requiem for a Dream, which is another movie she should have been up for an Oscar in, let's be completely honest. That's, <sighs> totally. Her performance is it's chilling a unbelievable that. That. <laughs> Yeah, so Requiem Dream into Beautiful Mind, into House of Sand and Fog, which was uh, in in the Oscar mm-hmm. mix there a little bit. She did The Hulk, which I think was kind of the disappointing Yangley Hulk,
1: which was a... a Bit of a flip. Has anyone here that seen rough. that? Yes. Oh yeah. Like recently by any chance? No. No. I've bad. seen it somewhat recently, and I left it on to see what was going on. Yeah, not it, good. It it gives me vibes like one of those movies where the director and the studio was had just never like a mess. Like nothing nothing, nothing got all together.
2: Only some of the people had actually like known who the Hulk was. I I don't even know about that.
1: I
0: mean Nick Nolte definitely doesn't know who the Hulk is. Yeah, so that's kind of like the that's I guess that's her cash in the Oscar for the big uh, the big payday movie there. But um, she's in uh, Little Children, which is an Oscar relevant movie. Uh, Blood Diamond, which was an Oscar relevant oh, movie. She's Good great on that. Yeah, she comes back in Noah, which is the um, Darren Aronofsky the Darren Aronofsky film with Russell Crowe. Already,
1: you, yeah. you have thoughts. I have things to say about Noah. Okay, what do you? Let's go. All right, so I like Noah. Sorta like it's a cool story. I like what he's going for. I've seen an interview with Darren Aronofsky where he goes, I don't screen test well, at all. Everyone hates my screen test. Imagine screen testing Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> yeah. People oh, are like, yeah. no, this is awful, I don't want to see this. <laughs> right. right, so he did screen test for Noah after he made his version in the studios, like, we can't release this. We need to edit some, change some things, and they changed some shit and made it kind of crappy. Yeah. So now it's not like an artist, it's. It it's the same they vibe, as the yeah. same vibe as the Hulk. Right. But Jennifer Connolly's great in it. She's a really good actress. Anthony Hopkins is great in it. She probably sits there and says they ruined my movie. I mean, they got a, Darren Aronofsky, Russell Crowe, Anthony Hopkins, and Jennifer Connelly, and you're making a movie about Noah told through a kind of really cool lens, and it just loses its way. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, I think that there was a thought that she'd be more more of a star coming out of this, but just in a supporting sense, she really adds so much to this movie. Do you think that? Do you like her being categorized as supporting, or do you think it could have been... Oh, she should have been a lead. lead. Yeah, oh, I think, 100% should have been, been, been a lead, That's, Yeah, That's I was going to mention that when you brought up supporting. I was like, why isn't she just best actress? Yeah, And I think <laughs> she would have She would have won for lead, too. Halle Berry wins for Monst- Monsters Ball, which is kind of... She's pretty good in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that I mean that w- would have been an interesting uh, showdown there. So Speaking me bringing up, up Russell Crowe, Crow. <laughs> last to
1: talking about Jennifer Connelly,
0: yeah, and Russell Crowe not winning was a bit of a surprise. I, Denzel I, Washington I, for Training Day, mm, so that's a really good performance. It is a yeah. really good performance too. This isn't that podcast though. Uh, but that's <laughs> isn't that podcast. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that funny?
2: That's a bit of a forgotten movie. I don't hear that reference Training too much. Day? Oh no, I that's wouldn't like call that a group movie. Movie.
0: Okay, maybe my, group group my
1: <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So
0: already, talked a little, a little bit about Russell Crowe.
1: I think Russell Crowe's performance in this is incredible. incredible i think he does an outstanding job i think he creates such a flawed character that you feel for he's able to at the same time have great chemistry with jennifer connelly in a romantic relationship he's he's amazing in this i was blown away by his performance the more i like the first watch i was like wow i forgot how good he was in this second watch today during the afternoon i was like, He's even better this time. Like, he's really amazing. I know saying just someone's really amazing over and over isn't like great feedback, but like, <laughs> I, that's my my feeling from him in this movie. He was great in Gladiator
3: the year before, and then he does this movie the next year, and I think he does an absolutely phenomenal performance in a beautiful mind. He's got like the nice idiosyncrasies, like mannerisms or something. Yeah. You know, I never saw like the re- the real John Nash, but Russell Crowe, of course, does his homework and is going to like embody someone if he wants to.
1: Crowe didn't want to meet Nash because he wanted to make the character himself. Yeah. And then Nash showed up on set and was hanging around all the time. <laughs> yeah. And he, Crowe's like, oh, I have to, I see him now. So he does this, that hand stuff he does is yep. something he got from seeing Nash mm-hmm. in real life. And the scene where they talk about tea, he's like, well, what kind of tea do they have in here? Blah, blah, blah. He said he went to get tea with John Nash, and John Nash spent 15 minutes deciding whether he should have tea or coffee. And, like, talking it so out. That's why they put So, that like, they scene. threw yeah, well, that in. Yeah. Well, we
0: want to talk about Ron Howard you know, be a pushover again. <laughs> Russell Crowe was so taken back by that, that him just bugging out over, taking 20 minutes to order a tea, that he's, like, he's like pitching... He said, "We got, oh, we got to put this." And like they kind of like are yesing him, like yeah. And if we know Russell Crowe, small he's, scene R- there. <laughs> R- Russell Crowe's a bit of a you know, he's a bit of a, 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 bully? a, a brawler, a bruiser. And <laughs> you know, they're they're going into the editing room and cutting certain things. And Russell Crow, Russell Crowe walks up to him and he goes, he goes, Ron, the t shit's staying in. It's staying in. Pointing him in the face and walks past. Probably had a few <laughs> like, pints together. Oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to keep it. We're going to keep teasing it. Because yeah, Ron Howard's a real tough guy. We're using the
1: T-shirt. Ron Howard probably responded to that by looking him dead in the face and went, We're going to use the T-shirt. <laughs>
3: I'm sure we all read that there's no uh, Ceremony of the Pens, right? Oh, no. Is that right? That was oh, like that that was that was not up not a real thing? At Princeton, no. They said... Mm. No such thing, but it's a great touch. They made they it, it feel nice. so, so real. Like they, anyone who has a problem with this movie, the screenplay is phenomenal. Like it just does everything that it needs to do to take you on this roller coaster. Totally. And <laughs> then it gets to the end, and you're like, "Thank you." But, but I'm
2: sure fabricating Princeton tradition is like is, <laughs> <they> fabricated. So <laughs> much is, stuff you would never expect. Heresy in some circles. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> I, I,
1: Princeton does not like. Yeah, so fudging the, around with Princeton <laughs> tradition. Well, that's yeah. So the Wheeler Lab they're trying to get into it. MIT—that's not a thing. That's not a thing. (laughs) It's probably based on John Wheeler, who's like a super famous physicist who worked with Niels Bohr, but that's—it's not a real lab.
2: But in a way to like avoid someone being like, that's not really how Wheeler Lab is. It's like just make up a fucking Wheeler Lab. And the other
1: physicists that they're with, like that he he competes with, I don't even think they're real. They might be based on real people, but they're like soul. Oh, oh I'm soul is not yeah. a real person. Hanson's not a real. Yeah, I'm sure Hanson. they were just. I'm sure were accounts of
0: friends that he had. Through they college. they right.
2: also might not have been able to get permission from certain people or right, states use their of people
0: to use their life. Yeah. yeah, his, his colleagues um, hated him.
2: To go back to Russell Crowe, just because I didn't get my uh, yeah my coin in there. I think that always the good side of an actor when you're watching an actor is is you're not like oh this is. This is Russell Crowe doing, like, some variation. You forget it's Russell Crowe. He goes, he goes through the role. And, and, look, we went through a whole portion of talking about the movie and didn't even talk
1: about Russell Crowe.
2: Yeah, because we're um, assuming
1: he's carrying the movie. You know yeah, what I mean?
2: Yeah, and it, to me, that's a sign of a great actor. I, it, there's, I mentioned it before. There's actors where, like, I'm, I'm watching Matt Damon right now. Like, and Matt Damon is always Matt Damon, and Jeremy, in Jeremy so Renner, Jeremy
0: Renner,
1: Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, uh, those are yeah. my people.
0: I think we, it can't be understated too. Is this isn't just Russell Crowe? This is Russell Crowe at the peak of his powers. He right. just won the, the Oscar for Gladiator. It doesn't. Yeah. The, there are few actors who have had bigger
1: moments than that. You know, like he, I mean, he just on. played a Roman gladiator, and now he's playing a <laughs> schizophrenic mathematician. Like, talk about diverse. yeah, it, it's, a, it's a
0: big jump. It's a big jump. cross performance is definitely up there at the best of his career. I love his mannerisms in this. I think there's great facial reactions. He does a lot. He does a lot behind the eyes here, and I think you have to do that in, in that type of. I mean, you're portraying a, an inclusive intellectual. I mean, you can't you can't come out there over the top with everything and. And, you know, you see a lot of these times where you're playing people with mental health concerns and you could go real over the top with it, too.
1: He was so close to being too much and he never yeah, crossed he ne- it. He never got he there. never crossed it. It's a masterful performance. Yeah. Cool little moment
0: in, in his performance the,
1: uh, when he has the seizure in the bed. Yeah. Uh,
0: all of that is pure acting. There's no tricks there, no uh, shaking of the bed, no... I don't think that's a seizure. That's, that's electroshock therapy. Yes, oh. yeah, but well, he's, a, he's having a seizure in reaction to that. But it's uh, yeah, being electrocuted. But that's all him actually acting that out and shaking. Oh, they're wow, not, they're really? Not, they're good. not shaking the bed. They're not. But yeah, there's no,
1: no little parlor tricks there. But my, my favorite little nuances of his, his performance. I don't know if these were improv or not, but so there's a scene where he's sitting on the pad on the porch of his house, and Sol comes to visit, and he's like, yeah. "Hey, oh, watch your watch your seat. Don't sit on Harvey." And he's like, oh, uh he's like, I'm, I'm just kidding. He's like, what's the point of being <laughs> crazy if you can't have fun with it? He's so genuine in that scene. It seems like he made it up, like he improvised it. And if he didn't, then yeah. it's even better. It's an important scene for the character, too, because up until this time, we have we had
2: a character, John Nash, who couldn't take any social cues for anything. Now everyone's so uptight being around him and can't figure out what the correct social cue is, so he just cracks a joke. Right. Russell right. you know,
3: Crowe is doing something with his mouth during this movie that I can't describe to you, <laughs> but I know he looks different than he does in any other movie. He's doing It's like pulling something. his lips in. Yeah, and it's
1: really good. It's something. He's... he's- it's super nuanced,
0: Artie. It's it's interesting you bring up improv because one of those scenes that kind of has a similar tone was completely improv by Russell Crowe and uh, Jennifer Connelly was the scene with the garbage man. Garbage man, yeah, that, know, was, that great. was that was written as a deadpan serious scene where you know she's on edge and she's a the, the little laughing thing that Crowe does was totally off script. And, oh, her, yeah? and she played naturally off of him where it was kind of almost as they were doing it might have been an outtake sort of thing, but it just it just emotionally worked. And, uh, and Rod Howard called it his, his favorite scene of the movie. Their, chemi- his, their chemistry is phenomenal.
1: Awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, you really. can see the love there. It's, yeah. they're, they're just,
2: you know, they're uptight with trying to deal with the situation. And then, you know, they just end up laughing about it. And she it's really ends
3: up... Uh, she stares holes into him. I'm, like, amazed oh. how in love
1: she is with him. Yeah. yeah. She, yeah. That loyalty she has is so sexy. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Artie, in our, in our Bridge on the River Kwai episode, you mentioned how Sir Alex Guinness insisted on adding comedy to mm-hmm. the character adding some moments of levity and moments of humor the same is the case with this movie russell Crowe did the same in the situation he, he wanted there to be little moments of of levity and little laughter and and th- that was his kind of personal touch on the character because Worked he thought great. yeah it, it this movie can just it can get so kind of cold and intense at times that you need those little kind of moments of of smiling and uh yeah he did you could definitely tell russell Crowe had his kind of moments where he you know, probably put Ron H- Howard in a headlock and said, we're going to you go, know, we're doing this, we're going to do... And Dude, the, Christopher, totally. Christopher Plummer's one of those, too. He, he wanted Christopher Plummer in this movie, and he got him, so... <laughs> he wanted... <laughs> and uh, Judd Hirsch was the other one. He wanted uh, wanted Judd Hirsch in the mix, too. He wanted Christopher Plummer to tell him what to do. <laughs> and in a fun outtake of that, too, is the, the first time they filmed the scene where Russell Crowe comes to, and he's chained to the chair, mm. and he's, you know, kind of drooling a little bit, and this is the, the first... This was the first scene that the two of them filmed together and they're kind of there's a very like tense atmosphere in the room and whatnot so you have Russell Crowe and Christopher Palmer eye to eye and in character no, Russell Crowe goes ah, it's you I know you you're, you're the guy from The Sound of Music you <laughs> know they, all, just like, they just all like lose and start laughing um yeah, so uh, that's awesome. Stuff. Wait, yeah. did he really do that? Yeah, that was, oh, that was the God. first. That was the first to see the <laughs> two of them together. That's incredible. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about our imaginary characters here. How could we not have a whole section on the incomparable Ed Harris? Seriously.
4: Uh,
0: and this, this kind of—I mean, I know we don't—we overuse the word iconic, but it's kind of an iconic Ed Harris performance. I think the first thing I think of when I think Ed Harris, I think
1: trench coat and hat. No, and, uh, for me. That's oh, the first place I, I think I go. headset and Apollo and Oh, NASA. you go to you go to Houston. Yeah. 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 yeah it's okay. So much that, like gravity used him as the voice of NASA yep. in yep. gravity <laughs> because just, bad, everyone yeah. relates him to NASA. Is
2: uh, that is it bad that I went to Blue Fatigue's and Alcatraz? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah. Another great. Oh, you're yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a bit of being
3: in charge people. <laughs>
0: oh, man, he's so good. And and Jay, I'm sure you went to uh oh, your when, favorite You're your number one, right? True and Great. Stuff. But another headset your, movie. But to your point, exactly.
1: But
3: to, and is he not in charge? He's God. <laughs> oh, he's always he's in charge. God.
1: He's Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones never works for anyone. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But to Kieran's point, when I thought of the recast vote, at the, you know, that we'll do at the end, I was like, Ed Harris is like, nah, they got that part right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not recasting Ed Harris's part.
2: I considered it too,
0: but yeah, he's, he feels yeah. It yeah. too I too couldn't well. imagine anyone else in that. No. I mean, yeah. that is so yeah. Ed Harris. It's Ed Harris. One of, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, we'll, we'll see if it ends up being my scene in the movie, is the first real confrontation between the two of them walking around outside of the building. Ed Harris's character, which, uh, Artie, you said? Parcher. Parcher. William, William Parcher. William Parcher. William Parcher is Parcher. pulling in Russell Crowe and, get, and getting him going here. And as Artie, as you said before, we hear him first, and then we see him from the Russell Crowe point of view, the, the Nash point of view, and then we see them talking together. But one of the cool things that happens in that scene, another like a Deacon's trick, we see the perspective and the point of view of Nash and it goes to his face, and then you see Ed Harris step into the camera. So we're, we're looking at Ed Harris, we're looking Russell Crowe, and then as the camera's on Russell Crowe, we see Ed Harris step into the, the shot of the camera mid-conversation, and that's him kind of taking over Nash's world. A, a very interesting trick that's so subtle, that, but it,
1: it, it, there's a lot of the little playing little tricks like that. There's another element to that, too. As Crow is walking away, the camera shows us the door he just left fully shut. And before the shut door leaves the frame, you hear Ed Harris talk. Mm. And then you hear, you, you cut to Russell Crowe, and the camera turns in like the Russell Crowe head turning kind of POV to Ed Harris stepping into the shot. But the door behind him is closed, mm. hinting that he's made up.
4: Yeah. Because he's yeah. not
1: opening the door and walking through it. He's right. walking out of a closed door. Yeah, fun fun little tricks throughout. Uh, one, just a couple that I
0: had, had written down is when we see Marcy running around the, the park, with the pigeons. The pigeons. Mm-hmm. the pigeons don't react. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's running into two. You know, I don't. I pick oh, up the first time that.
3: I saw that. I never
0: picked that Yeah, up. no.
1: No, that's, that's it, just on the... These are all things... Yeah, these, <laughs> I picked up... Ed Digital pigeon, pigeons, who would have thought? Yeah, I picked the Ed Harris thing up, this this watch, like the 1st yeah. rewatch of this. The
3: other one I picked up was Charles brings him to the bar, they're playing pool, Hanson walks in, hey Nash, who's winning, you or you? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. because nobody sees the other guy yeah. there, yeah. yeah. There's another good
1: one too, where he walks in with Ed Harris when they first meet, and he walks through the toll booth thing, and Steve, uh, John, Steve Nash. John Nash shows his, his ID to get in. But at the same time he shows it, Ed Harris goes, nah, they know me here. And they just raised the thing. Oh, but wow. meanwhile, he had to show his ID yeah. for them to raise the
0: thing. That's cool. I didn't yeah. test that one at all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was just heavily looking for those. In,
0: in that scene, too, and this is one that I read about in my research, is that a lot of those apparatuses and a lot of the machinery and, and none of that stuff existed in that time period. And they were a little concerned about that being too obvious, and so they didn't want to tip off the viewer. You know, I, I, I think it kind of just becomes in one of those like Hollywood moments where you're just like, oh, Hollywood just taking liberties. So I don't think anyone would have really caught on to that. There's, a, there's a
2: scene where he uses a remote. Ed Harris uses a remote. Yep. And Nash goes. What is this? He goes. That's a great idea. Clever idea. Yes. Right.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, Yeah. A whole bunch of things in that yeah. in that scene there too. I, I kind of tend to think that that scene in general is a little over the top for me. I'm going to put that in the same category as the, the car chase. It with the, the thing in the arm and it's just it's it's a lot. It's a lot. But,
1: On rewatch, it's a lot. First watch,
0: right? You believe we, it? Which which leads leads me to the side. It's a little manipulative. Like, you know, Oh, like you're, the you're, movie's you're, completely manipulated. Yeah, to the audience.
2: So it, it's right. playing so with is, the audience. But at the same time, isn't it like, it's a, it's a hallucination. It's over the top. I mean, he, he has... Right, it's it's a, a, a delusion weird weird of grandeur. That would be, their defense. Like, that he would be has, their defense.
1: He has two questions to guys in that code room, and they just don't answer him. They say the same exact thing back to him. So
2: yeah. they do juxtapose it to the first scene where he goes to the Pentagon, and he does solve a code. Yes. And his question is, what did I just solve? And they go, thank you for your help. They don't, they, don't they don't answer his question. They don't answer his question. He, he doesn't know moments. what
0: he did. Brendan, a key moment in the movie because you can see in, in that scene he is just in love and enamored and obsessed with what they're asking. Right. Yeah.
3: Is that a dream or is that real? No, no, no. The Pentagon,
0: no, no the Pentagon is real. I what, the code-breaking stuff? Say First one, I the say it's one, fake. fake. Okay. No, no, it's it's no, the initial one is real. I say he it's actually fake. was called into the Pentagon. So, so what, what's going on there with that scene is... Is that They bring him in To do a couple things They get what they need Out of him They send him on his way But he gets In he's his mind a Parcher up there Parcher's a hallucination right, so plants, plants a seed Plants yes. a seed into he Oh he's behind there. the screen he's Behind, behind screen the screen Behind the screen Oh so yeah. that, that's real So, so yeah. this Fuck is, what I gotta watch this, is, this again prove it. What this is doing here Is, is this is feeding Into his egomania That oh wow the, the government needs me, the world needs right. and that's where the Parcher character comes from is this is egomania, this obsession. Fascinating. With, I need I to missed help that. my country, I, missed I need that. to do it's funny you say that because in that scene he
3: doesn't have like these mannerisms anymore to me. He's like very stylish, very confident. And yeah. he comes off like and even the way like James Bond him, even the way like, perfect. Sure. Even the way you shoot him there, like with his hair's perfect, and his they suit's swoop. perfect. Yeah, well, this, it's if, not oversized; ah, it fits perfect. So that's why what, that's what made me wonder: is he dreaming? But right. you know, even if it's real life, they're showing you how like how he's loving this right now. And and,
0: and this is the exact moment where the the camera lens has changed to the noirish spy like yeah. yeah. view uh, away from that kind of the that glitzy thing that we saw a little earlier. Mm-hmm. There's there's a comment there
2: from the doctor later on. He says. You know, given his lifestyle, this probably went unnoticed in places where, where it would have otherwise gone noticed. Right. And and that's kind of, I think, what Kieran is getting at yeah. here, is that him going into this setting, experiencing these things, and, and being elevated to this mind feeds into and becomes a trigger for what he's already predisposed
0: to, to experience. Great point, Brendan. And to even build onto that even more... Is this created a social separation between him and his loved ones? Right. Because w- he was brought in to do classified work, so now everything he does is classified. Well, I, so right. we can't. Th- his his friends and his wife are distant to his work because it's just classified. Even though he's just scribbling on the walls and like smearing his poo on the walls. Look <laughs> 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 over there. It's classified. Well. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah. You saw how like uh, his coworkers were kind of like in- enabling him, but at the same time like. Like they were kind of like saw it that he was going a little off, mm. but were like we just figured it was harmless. Yes. I followed him. He, I, I watched him go to a fake mansion, an abandoned house, put <laughs> envelopes <laughs> in an abandoned mailbox. I thought it was all right. Yeah, it I mean, was it's fine. What nice She had to go get him and retrieve them. The guy followed him, his coworker, and was like thought it was harmless. It was like they like they just watched him spiral. So.
2: To to speak to that, there is a question there of, of true friendship. These are these are two individuals that he considered his friends. They pretty much lived under his umbrella. Well, they got jobs because um, of him. Yeah, and what would happen if he loses his job? They might lose their job they have incentive. too. So they didn't really talk much
1: about this. But
2: but what there's they do one, Wait, later, there's
1: one line that does touch on it. But I'll get to it after you make your sure, point.
2: Sure. What they do later is he ends up. Nash ends up relying on Hansen in the end, which Hansen is someone that he spoke down to, really gave nothing to. Hanson didn't need to help him. Hanson actually did consider him a friend. And and went out of his way to help him. That's the true friend. Sol let his let Nash delve deeper into his
0: psychosis because
2: he was probably afraid of losing his job. Yeah, well, which... they were
0: they did have a professional relationship too. Yeah, so there was a that he didn't, he didn't step in where he could have, where, yeah,
1: that that is a good point.
3: And I got a little vibes from Sol trying to pick up... Jeff Jennifer, Frickana yeah. Like, oh, I mean, who I mean, wouldn't? Come on. Yeah. So
1: what is what is Sol's other partner's name? I can't... I'm blanking can't on it. Yeah, Bender. 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 So it's... Bender has a line that reveals that they were onto it the whole time. He goes, it's possible... Um, not probable. Not yeah.
2: probable. Not yeah. likely. He,
1: yeah. like he's basically saying, like, yeah, we, knew. Th- we, we knew this something was going on, we didn't know it was like newspapers all <laughs> over the wall. But. Right. So Adam
0: Goldberg and Anthony Rapp, who play Sol and Bender, bit of a reunion for them in this. They're a dynamic duo mm. in Days Infused. Yes. That's, right. the two of them
1: That's together in the,
0: yeah. The two of them together driving around in the car. That's Ron Howard
1: wow. looking for comfort for the audience. I love that factor, and I do too.
0: It works. Ron but,
1: Howard works. Actually, but a,
0: a like fun it. little parallel of that too is is Ron Howard was the star of American Graffiti, which was a movie that largely influenced Days and in Confused, which is another kind of coming of age one night, one night as uh, as high school's ending kind of kind of thing. So to have that parallel of Ron Howard bringing the two of them from Daising and Confused back into Beautiful Mind, winning Best Picture, very, very cool stuff. I liked the characters. I liked, Brendan, I like what you said there is, is that the sole character kind of towing the line between friend and coworker, where he's concerned. He knew he kind of needed Nash to hold his job. That's an interesting complexity to yeah. the character that I ever really thought a lot, a, a lot about. I like that.
1: Uh, There's some elements to the psychiatric break that he has in the middle of the movie that are really funny in real life. Uh, Not funny in, like, an insensitive way, but... So he got offered a prestigious job, a tenured professorship at the University of Chicago. But in the middle of this psychiatric break from schizophrenia, he turned it down because, quote... He was already scheduled to become emperor of Antarctica. Like that was his answer to the to the job opportunity. Uh, he talked about how people from outer space were destroying his career. Hmm. That was more his real schizophrenic experience, yeah, as opposed to visual hallucinations.
0: An interesting complication that I mean you can only imagine with something who, who has a mind someone who has a mind that works that way is that the, one of the exceptional qualities of his mind is, is that he s- can see patterns and he sees... They say that the highest end of mathematicians aren't even looking at numbers. They're looking at, f- at, at shapes and figures and patterns. The numbers are... they concepts, all concepts. They're above the numbers. The yeah. numbers are not even in the mix anymore. So when you have that, that, that just unique quality to your mind and then you develop an illness in which you're obsessing over hallucinations in patterns. I mean, talk about madness. I mean, it's your your gift has now become your illness, and you can't and then give you yourself separate a, the two and then
3: give yourself a fake purpose and meaning to it, and you're on a roll. Yeah, so I think really... people
1: like that serve an evolutionary purpose. Yeah, like sort they're of they're, sort of, they're forced... Steve of the world and, I, yeah. Einstein. They're forced and they're all forced to live in basically psychological turmoil Mm -hmm. of some measure, but at the same time they advance humans as a civilization a hundred years. Yeah. There's a comment in the movie when um, it's
2: the latter end of the movie. The guy's explaining to him that he's up for the Nobel, Nash is up for the Nobel prize. He's explaining everything that Nash's theories have done. And he goes, I think it was just a, uh, it was a moment of honesty that
1: led to some sort of stupidity. <laughs> well, that's after he talks about antitrust. He's like, antitrust? Yeah, He's right. He's like, like, I never would have considered I had that. no yeah. idea that it would be used for antitrust. I yeah. guess that's just yeah. me being so honest. It's which, which, from on my stupidity, background, that's,
2: that's the only thing I could think of when I hear the theory. is Oh, is,
1: it's antitrust? It's antitrust, absolutely. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I think a red light, green light, basically. Like, intersections. That's what a Nash equilibrium is. Do it. Mm-hmm. A red, light, green... Right, let's get into it. Dude, a Nash like equilibrium. has been a
0: dying to talk game theory.
1: <laughs> all right.
3: I was going to go to mention. All, and right. glad all he right. We're here.
1: His own. We're here. <laughs> so, dude, uh, an example of the Nash equilibrium. Let's give you some, some background. Game theory is concerned with situations where decisions interact, where the payoff or the reward for a decision and the decision maker depends not only on his or her own decisions, but also on the decisions of others. So in the movie, when you see the blonde and the four brunettes, his Mm. thought process is, if we all go for the blonde, we all lose. No one's going to win. We don't all get... No one has a chance at the best possible outcome, but no one wins. If we all go for the, the brunettes that are around her, no one gets the blonde, but we all get someone... And that general concept, he, he says, he Smith, is wrong. It's incomplete. It's not do what's best for you and that benefits the group. It's do what's best for you and the group, which seems, like, simple and intuitive. But to prove that mathematically literally had game-changing consequences. Yeah. So, like, profit realized – in economics, profit realized by a company can depend not only on by the price they set for a product – but by oh, the price someone else, does. Someone else sets right. for that product. And if they're not in cohesion in some capacity or basing their decisions off each other, you could have unintended consequences yeah. where one, one company completely dominates the other company or something right. like that. Yeah, and, and so and the concept there with antitrust is, you know,
2: we don't want a monopoly because the one person who owns all, all the products and distributes all the products controls the price. With, with antitrust... If three companies are, are owning and distributing products, if they all agree that we're going to charge this much of the price, then everyone it's, it's subject to the same problems that
1: you are if you have a, a monopoly. So the gist of Nash equilibrium in the traffic light scenario is basically if you go into a traffic light with the idea that if it's green, I go and if it's red, I stop and everyone obeys those rules, there's no issue. It's great for everyone. That's the gist of Nash equilibrium. And that can somehow apply to economics, auctioneering, like silent auctions, yeah. um, antitrusts, as you said. And that's, he, had, he just wanted to come up with something original. And, and so he gaslit Chinese checkers. He was gaslighting Chinese checkers. This game is, is, is flawed, it, yeah. it, it can't be. Turns out another guy, a Danish professor, I don't know what. When someone says they're Danish, where are they from? Denmark. Denmark. (laughs) I forgot that. (laughs) Anyway. It's an honor. A Danish professor. (laughs) He's our game theory, folks. He's our game theory expert, folks, not our geography expert. Anyway, a Danish expert, a Danish professor also had the same feeling about Go, that it was flawed and it wasn't benefiting you using proper game technique. So Nash and this Danish professor independently came up with the same modified version of Go. At Princeton, they called it H- at Nash, and it has since been called Hex. It's a different version of Go oh, they kinda, they with made, they modified rules a bit. to make it better, like more fair. These two dorks came up with it in different parts of the world at the same time, like, I lost in this, is the game's fault. I'm gonna change the game in that Gaslighting Chinese checkers <laughs> Artie threw uh,
0: a ton of A ton of great stuff at us right there I, I do want to say that I, mean, this is, I don't want to get too contemporary with this But a lot of this stuff can really be discussed Into what the problems are going on in Major League Baseball With the uh, with with, a lot, with the work stoppage was there's a lot of the players basically accusing the teams of not all competing. So you have the teams that are tanking and kind of paving the way for the others and, and in the free agent market last year, certain teams the players were accusing the teams of colluding to not sign specific players to drive the price in the players down, so they've they been reading Nash. Create some rules that I think that I think that they want. They want less Nash. The players want less Nash. They want more. <laughs> the owners have been reading yeah, yeah, Nash. Nash. The owners have and they're have like, been "Hey, listen, if we all yeah. talk. We could set the. Yeah, in competitive sports, I don't think it's necessary. I actually think it's a, a federal it, crime. Yeah, in, it needs to in, be in professional yeah, sports. No, not not good. I, I wanted to bring it uh, a step back to movies. Brendan, that section you're talking where he's he's talking to Pendleton as the actor. Who tell me? he has got me up to it. Yes, yes. Oh, that's so funny.
1: I know that guy. Yeah. You know that what guy? Where is he from? He's from up, a million things. I'll tell you where he's from. <laughs> no, wait. He's, he's my cousin Vinny. He's, he's the, the nervous stutter, lawyer. He's the he's stuttering lawyer. The stuttering lawyer. Stuttering <laughs> lawyer. The lawyer. Yes. That's, uh, dude, the brilliant. casting agent on this movie was, was yeah. brilliant.
0: Also the dad and Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. I don't know if you that, that
1: one. You can't recast
0: this movie. This movie is really, really hard. It's very tough Dude. to recast. You have to kind of make you to make some leads. But anyway, so in that little conversation they have there, Nash says, suddenly everyone wants to talk about that one. Yeah. he brings up the... Yeah, uh, the paper he wrote when he was 21. That was a direct quote from Billy Wilder when Ron Howard met him. Ron Howard met... Billy Wilder and said hey I I, I just want to let you know like the reason I became a filmmaker was Sunset Boulevard you know I I watched the movie and just was blown away but the camera work and everything in it and it made me want to and Billy Wiley goes, ah, all these years later, everyone wants to talk about that one. <laughs> Which is kind of his way of saying, "Well, I made the movie, and no one got it, and I got a bunch of shit for it." And the and like and all the credits were were panning it here and panning it there, and they didn't, you know, they didn't get it. And now all these years later, everyone's, oh, Sunset Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard. You know, to um, anyone
2: who makes that comment, the answer is at least you live long enough for someone to give a shit. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's not like Brendan, your favorite uh, Herman Melville. Yes, you want to go. Into- <laughs> <laughs> another moby dick I'll save, Hi, I, I'll save the, uh, <laughs> another another uh, moby dick uh, monologue that gets
1: edited out right uh, cool little tidbit about when he graduated from carnegie and got his master's degree in math he had one professor write him a like an advisor wrote him a one sentence recommendation to go to princeton he wrote this man is a genius Period. There you go. I mean... That was his one-sentence recommendation. best letters
0: of recommendation are the ones straight and (laughs) to the point. We haven't really talked much about Paul Bettany. What do you think about his presence here in this one, his performance? It's a a small role, but a super impactful role. Jay, what do you think? I like Paul Bettany. I like his performance, and I like his role because his
3: character is like the opposite of John Nash. And when you the big reveal happens, you notice that he's kind of you know, what John Nash wants to be socially. He's who John Nash wants to be socially, Mm -hmm. so he kind of brings him out, gets him drunk on the rooftops, talks about his problems with him. You know, he's a good, like, release for John. Yeah. And that's why he loves talking to him, and that is a heartbreaking ending, you know, when he talks about how much he'll miss him. Mm -hmm. Because he basically got through college because of him, you know,
1: with his help.
0: It shows the isolation of the character.
1: I thought it was obvious, but I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, I hope Jay can tell me what Bettany's like psychological relevance is to And Jay did it. <laughs>
2: and, and he just I, fucking
1: I, did it. It's I what he wants to be socially. I think it's cross oh, off the note.
2: It's an awesome point. Um and they even they even state it later because Bettany is the English, the English major. He's <laughs> D.H. Lawrence, which is probably the only book Nash or the only author in Nash knew, was D.H. Lawrence. And so later on Betany's like, Oh, I'm teaching D. H. Lawrence over at Harvard or something. Yeah. But much later on, when, when Nash has got his thing together, he's he's in the library and he's he's teaching, unofficially teaching the kids in the library. He says, Despite what your professors say or anything anything they tell you in this place, this is an art. Yeah. This math is an art. And and that was he aspired to be the Bettany, the English professor, the artist, you know, the the, uh, Good point. Yes, he's tying it
1: together with and that line. And he's yeah.
3: always looking to be acknowledged, and he's in the
1: beginning recognition. Very,
3: very recognition hungry. He goes, "You beginning. should say,
1: you should look at it in terms of accomplishment." He goes, "Is there a difference? What's
3: the difference, right?" So he, and yeah. that's why the pen scene is so perfect because that's the recognition of here's the greatest. Great achievement in your lifetime. I cried multiple cares. times during this movie. I don't really? know.
1: Really? Wow. Oh. Yeah, dude. Me too. Jennifer, Con- Jennifer Connolly is so good at emoting; she makes me emote. <laughs> oh my! And the, the love between them—it was.
2: Yeah, it's real. It feels yeah, real when man. they're going when they're going through hell. Like I'm, I'm like. I'm like crying. I'm like, they're with them. I yeah. know. And then her, th- his speech at the end, I cried. Yeah, her in the bathroom that's a, that's throwing, a, throwing a... the
1: glass, I cried. And then yep. what, the, one other part I cried. The his speech at the end. The, him, uh, when she sees him teaching the kids. But they yeah. show her face and her right. acting is fucking. It makes me cry. It's so, like, so that's that's the. It's also right, winter. Right before
2: seasonal. that <laughs> is what I want to go back to Hanson with because we we're talking about friendship and Hanson actually is a true friend. You know, you have you have Sam Goldberg who's who's there. You know, trying to hit on his wife when when Nash is in the worst. So yeah. Hanson comes out when, when Nash is teaching in the library. Hanson comes out like he's like a kid like come look come see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You have yeah. to see this. He's teaching. Yes, and then like they come and they watch and like yeah. he,
0: he really is like this true friend right. who's... Yeah, their, you know, ri- their rivalry was their bond in all right. these years. I think it meant it meant a lot to the Hanson character to be able to um, to, to be able to take Nash in and, and give him a home and,
1: and yeah, give him a place to—he was always he playful. Try. He was always playful well, yeah. with his teasing, and even early on. He was a dick, but he was being competitive. Why was he a dick? Because he was the competitive. Question. No,
2: not not quite so. Go ahead. So in the very beginning, Hanson's
1: introduction to Nash. Nash hits him. So no, he's a dick to Nash first. He asks him for a drink. He's like, "Oh, I, I assumed you were the waiter." Okay. And then, but then he goes... You're Marvin Harrison. He goes, Yes, John. So he knows yeah, he's you, John. Yeah, it was a little uh, bit Marvin
0: of... Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing for a Bengals. Wide receiver for the Colts. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Colts. the <laughs> Colts <receiver>. Marvin Hanson. <laughs> <You're> Marvin Harrison. <laughs>
1: oh, sorry.
0: No, no, I'm not. i uh, <laughs> uh, college. sorry it, right. I'm
1: wrong generation. Uh, yeah. But, so he I, I think right. you,
0: you went to the U. <laughs> so, the first
2: one to be a J was Hanson. Nash took to leap, though, to 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 uh, insult his. He was a better deck he, he took the leap to insult his work which which is not what hansen did hansen might have just been you know he was, he, was he,
1: boasting about the fact that he had he a little already. bit of a
2: tough fight. You, but but you realize the point what they're saying there is that they they shared an award yeah the carnegie uh, yeah the, i think in a way Hanson yeah, and my theory was going to be which you you might have ruined it i i think Go it's ahead. debatable but that hansen was excited to meet nash and he started it off with a little jab that, that went awry. And so Nash just immediate, immediately attacked his work and said, your miscalculations, it's not surprising that you miscalculated.
0: He wasn't prepared to deal to, with to, to Don be, Nash. Yeah, and his anti-socialism and his right. just intuitiveness and all that. Handsome p- portrayed by uh, Josh Lucas is the name of the actor. He's a token that guy. You know, you've seen him in a million yes. movies. You can't, yeah. That's no, why
1: I can't remember his right. The
0: only, I think the only thing he was ever the star in was the best the, the Be Glory Road. You remember that yes. one? I yeah. I haven't seen it. I seen know poster. about it.
1: Yep. I hate
0: basketball. <laughs> and uh, he was in Ford Ferrari, Best Picture nominee, great movie. Great movie. Uh, and I think he's currently on
1: Yellowstone TV show. I've not seen mm, yet, but everyone's always raving that. about. I'm not yeah, you'd, you'd see him that. in a bunch of movies so. He'd be a good dick actor, like uh, Craig Kilborn and like Old Timberland.
3: Like an 80s antagonist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Stan Stand like David Spade, David
1: Shane <laughs> and PCU. Are like, Tomorrow, yeah. high noon on the mountain. <laughs> <Yeah. I'm> eight. <laughs> Pizza? Hot dog. French fries. French fries. French fries. You're supposed to pizza. You're gonna have a bad <laughs> you're time. Have a bad time. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Skyler. I'll be your instructor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One last thing I wanted to say about the about the Bettany character, and you can tie this into Ed Harris too. There's a there's a a nature of dependency that's going on that those that those characters are creating. They're they're hyping him up, and. You know, we, we mentioned that with Bettany so there's the social aspect of it, he's, he's drinking with them and he's giving them, he's hanging out, but he's also constantly complimenting his work, you see him when he's in the office with Judd Hirsch and, you know, he's pumping his fist, yeah, yeah, they got you You know, like right. clapping, he's like, yeah, you, dude, he's, he's the supportive, the supportive figure in John Ashley when we go to Ed Harris after the Pentagon thing, when Nash's egotism has been stimulated by the Pentagon, he's the darkness. He, yeah, but he's also saying, "We need you. We need you, John. Your country needs you." He's the Keep he's going, I'm soldier. Yes, he's yes. We're, we're depending on you, John. We need you, and and you know Marcy too is a kind of is the is the young Uncle John, Uncle John. So these characters all need him, and then after the bathtub scene is when they all turn on him. And now it's now they're threatening him. They're, they're pointing the gun at his wife. They, uh, you have Paul Bettany yelling at him. You have Marcy crying. Like there's there the whole system is rejecting itself.
1: That's the schizophrenia's yes. last ditch effort to yeah to, right. to fight it. Yeah, to have control. It's desperation. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree with
2: that. Is that is that in the desperation they all turn on him? I still think Ed Harris is the darkness though in oh, in him. Yeah. Well, it's, it's filmed it's, in noir, so probably. Yeah. You know.
3: Grand delusion.
2: I know. I just yeah, delusions are grand <laughs> I just talk negative about soul, but you know, soul sits there on on the porch with him and and says, you know, there's other things in work, and and Nash is like, what is there? I and mean, Next scene, he's holding his baby. Yeah, you
0: know, Ooh, that's a chilling like scene. To, you know, yeah, based on a real uh, photo. Yeah, oh, of, really? of the actual John Nash. Oh. Yeah, holding his holding his baby there. It's a recreation of the image. There's also uh, a
3: scene when John punches paul better and he says it's not your problem it's not my problem it's their problem and when i watched that knowing the reveal i'm like ah, oh, that's him saying like you're better than them like it's them it's you against them yeah. it's not our problem yeah again
1: creating that dependency right
3: or like an isolation right an isolation yeah. from everyone mm-hmm.
1: in real life that was his his situation he actually thought he was like better than everyone
3: i read that he thought yeah, sure. every guy in a red tie was a communist following him kind of thing or you know like he, yeah, sure. yeah he had and and when he talked about his his uh issues and his uh, illness he said like it was this need to like really want to be you know big yeah yeah
0: i have my uh, my quote from this little section here between the two of them and john is going through his his different works on the glass there and he said this is a this is a two this two hand touch football game, and this is a bunch of pigeons. Uh, yeah. And this is, a, this is a this is a, this is a <laughs> is woman getting quote? her purse stolen. And here's here's my quote: "John, you watched a mugging. That's weird. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it is screen line. It's brilliant screen line. He's up in the
0: screen like, oh, that woman's getting her purse stolen. Right, Maybe there's uh, a <laughs> mathematical explanation <laughs> of this. How about you call the cops, dude? Yeah, right, right. That's, that's
2: called, weird. Right, that's go weird. out
3: and help, call
2: the cops, something.
3: <laughs> <Right>. That's Charles." <laughs> Getting to him and just being the brevity, that, the levity that he needs.
0: Uh, we talked about this movie asking uh, a lot of questions and not telling you exactly what the situation is. It kind of all comes to a head, though, in this bathtub scene where he draws the, he draws the bath for the, for the infant. Mm. She's headed down. She finds the garage. And at this point, we as a viewer now know... Oh, boy, red flags. Yeah, we're not dealing with Tinker Tail and Soldier <laughs> Spy here. This is, this is bad news. Yeah, he's he's shot. Um, And she you runs could... back in in the rain, very dramatic scene. It's when he puts her hands on her that we, I think as a viewer we really are hit with the cold reality of the situation. Yeah. Now he is actually dangerous. And he's dangerous to his wife, he's dangerous to his child. He almost, you know... Was at risk of drowning his baby, his infant. There, super emotional scene, really well shot. I don't love the ending with the um, with the cars, with this fist on the on the the hood of the car and saying she never gets older. You know, it, it, I I like the reveal to himself. They needed that. But yes, but I. I
1: they I didn't thought that worked, I, I thought that worked. I What's wrong with not, that? I thought okay, that worked. That's, that's a joke. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. You. It's, it's not <laughs> the best.
2: My, uh, <laughs> the way I'd phrase it is, it's not the best transition, but you need it.
0: You need the, 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 you need the character. to dramatic. How dramatic. It's I, it's as iconic. a viewer, I wanted it's... her out. I wanted her out. I didn't. Yeah. I wanted that character to not be held out by the aggression of him with the two hands on the hood, saying, "I have this figured out." But I didn't like the submission from from Alicia there. I, 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 I wanted her out and then let him come to that realization later and then come back to All it. right.
3: I see him realizing it and, and saying to himself, this is the most important person in my life who has to hear that I finally figured out that I'm not crazy and that I have figured it out. And he aggressively, yes, yeah, stops the car, but he, it, she's the most important person who needs to hear that and he's going out in the rain and not stopping to tell her that you're right, I'm wrong, we need
0: to, Figure this out. Yeah, I, I th- think she hits the gas and just melts him over. Personally, <laughs> I, <guess the laughs> I,
2: I think I, I think it's an unrealistic scene. I, I agree with you. Yeah, that. I yeah.
1: think the minute he realizes she's actually leaving, he starts to do everything he can mentally to go. Okay, why am I wrong? And goes she she doesn't get older, and and just panic throws it out there. And then he's like, "All right, this, yeah, I get it." Because I all right, just I, I have to. We can't just wait till the nitpick's on him. They kind of just... Write it, write it down and wait, we have a zone <laughs> right. for it. No, we have a zone for it. It's zone. too big, though. They kind of don't treat the treatment of schizophrenia great in this. Even saying the meds lines like, I, real- I realize this hallucination is yeah. a hallucination. Oh, okay, I'll stay with you. It's like, uh... You're broad-brushing. You're broad-brushing. Well, a bit. Yeah. She stayed
2: with him. If you, if you follow the sequence, she stayed with him long enough to get the doctor in the house. So the next scene is they're in the room upstairs, and... They have a conversation, and to me, this is this is more important than what you guys are talking about. Is she turns to him and says, "Would you hurt me?" He says, "I don't know." The um, well, answer is, "I don't know." Exactly. The answer is, "I don't know." Because he's saying he's ill, which he doesn't is, know. Which is an admission that he doesn't, he can't control himself. Right. Which, if you go back to previous when he did. Now he didn't mean to push her over, but he did. Mm. You know, and, and when he did go, oh, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. Yeah. And so when she asks him later on, when she asks him, Would you have hurt me? In my head the answer and I, I remember watching and anticipating him being like like, No, of course not. But he's being honest. He uh, he honestly Logical. says, I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think for Which means Bert, it could not be around an infant. <laughs> he <laughs> he <did. completely laughs> and and oh, then totally. he later says, yeah. You have to go. You have to leave, but don't leave me. Mm. Don't commit me, but let me just give me some yeah. time.
3: Yeah, he really does try his best to push her away, and she comes right back. And she has that whole great scene where she's touching him. What's real? You know, this. Yeah, that's an real. amazing this scene is right. Real. again. right. Yeah. but that so is something quote. he decided to do. Is what he decided to not take meds and do what he called like uh, intellectually reject his halluc- hallucinations, and I. I mean, what can you say? The guy it's literally admirable. you see it at the end of the movie when he sees you know, she wants a big hug on the stairway. That's line sad he keeps moving, yes. Yeah. But he's intellectually rejecting these yeah. hallucinations
2: right. and I mean he knows we're about real. the same yeah. guy who who was too smart to go to class
1: at Princeton. So <laughs> hey, <yeah. laughs> well, at least <laughs> his, no zone zone his fourth grade <laughs> math teacher said he doesn't know how to do the math but he gets all the right answers. Because he puts he what to your point of him not like Brilliant mathematicians, not seeing numbers, yeah. he would get answers, but he would do the math completely differently than the he way Jesus thought it right, yeah. and she's like, "I don't know how he got these answers, but he got them in terms of uh, of
0: schizophrenia uh, it's a, a stat that's thrown out there is that of of survivors of schizophrenia. Only twenty five percent regain their clarity like Nash did. Mm. So Nash was able to twenty five percent of of survivors. That's high, man. Yeah, I feel like that's um, high. Yeah. I feel like it's five yeah. percent. <laughs> yeah. So he, he you know, he was fortunate enough to, to get the clarity back and be able to live, you know, to live a, a, a semi normal
1: life. Schizophrenia is also genetic, and his kid had it. His son. Oh, no, really? Yeah.
0: All right. I think we're just about ready to to move on to the next section. Here, we got it. Uh, any any other scenes or anything? That, that we didn't touch on here that you want to bring up. We've covered the movie Kata. Kind of we bounced around a little bit.
2: I just want to talk about some irony of soul. Previous to his role in this uh, was in a Friends episode. Actually, multiple Friends episodes. Yes,
0: he was a recurring character. He was
2: Chandler's roommate after Joey moves out, who turns out to be, <laughs> uh, I, I guess, psychotic is what you'd say. Oh, and, he's crazy, yeah. And and oh, the way to get rid yeah. of him was they just moved Joey back in, and Joey just answers the door and says, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been living here the whole time. And then saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, it? man, I must have made a
0: mistake. And then he leaves.
1: <laughs>
0: also in Saving Private Ryan. Incredible. Um, yeah, and you and, and, go his death scene in that. Is, I uh, think we talked about yeah. that's that's awesome. Saving, Saving Private Ryan. Matthew.
3: Adam Goldberg in Saving Private Ryan, I think we talked about Saving Private Ryan being such a great
0: uh, group of, performances mm, in general <laughs> cast
3: yeah. Giovanni Rubisi,
0: you know. Couple of just things I'll, I'll throw out there. The Pentagon scene filmed at my alma mater Fordham University, the at uh, Keating Hall. Oh, Fordham will wow. we'll do a little shout out to Fordham and the Rose Hill campus. And Jay mentioned this a, a little bit on the side here. We have to bring up the always sunny in Philadelphia reference to this. Uh Charlie in the mailroom. room uh, Pepe, Pepe Sylvia, I said the name. name Pepe Sylvia, and I realized that, uh, there is no Pepe Silvia and then I, I went to Carol. I said, Carol, there's no Pepe Sylvia. And you know what? There is no Carol. <laughs> and Matt goes, Charlie, not only are all of these people real, they all are wondering where their mail is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's all taped to the wall, like beautiful uh, And Uh And then he leans over, to, and there's, a, there's the guy in the trench coat smoking a cigarette Then looks away and looks back, and he's gone. He goes, whew. Oh, I gotta get out of here <laughs> a great, great little reference It's like yeah.
3: a, an iconic thing with the when people walk into a room and there's just articles plastered on the wall and the yarn and the tape yep, yep, that yes when she first walks into his office and sees how bad it's gotten, Um, that you could see how shocked. She's so good at
1: acting in that scene, too. Uh,
3: that's why I'm looking at, you know, uh, Solomon and Bender and going, what, do you, what were you guys waiting for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right.
1: Come on, man.
0: She uh, wins all, like, the moments of this movie. Like the, the best moments. She's right there front and center. I think, you know, well. like
3: I said, she could be the best actor in this movie. It's
0: the thesis of the movie. I mean, it's
2: in the end. His last speech in the end. I mean, that's, yep. that's what he's saying.
1: Yeah. It reminded me of Conspiracy Theory a lot. The movie Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson Gibson and and Julia Roberts. Roberts. That movie's awesome, by the way. And uh, the newspaper clippings. I feel like that's the first movie that did that. That was like the mid nineties, ninety 96, 97. 97. Did they possibly get
0: that from the X Files? I feel like I feel like Mulder had some uh, some things <laughs> out. Like he was very much
1: John Nashish. Ah. Like, he was all over the place. He was frantic. It was the it was problem great, with the X Files.
0: Mulder's
2: always right. right <laughs> yeah,
1: right. everything he's talking about is real. Well, cons- I have to think
0: conspiracy theory lent off the of X Files a little bit there. There's probably oh, some influence there. Thing is that
2: X Files gets conspiracy theories weirdly accurate. Like they studied. The the makers of that show studied the intricacies of like Bigfoot, and so their Bigfoot
0: episode is very accurate to all the stories that yeah. That well, go around. I mean, it's Vince Gilligan, so <laughs> going to do Breaking Bad. I think he knew what he's he knew what he was doing in the world of uh, of TV. So same guy who did Breaking Bad did X Files. The writer oh, Vince Gilligan was the writer for the X Files. Yeah, yeah, Chris Carter was the creator producer. But... Okay, so before we head uh, on to the next section here. Uh, Brendan, you just—I'll share a little story, uh, a, a little family story regarding, regarding John Nash. We have a, a personal uh, right, family right. encounter with him. Yeah. So, the story was
2: told to me a while ago, and I, I can't clarify or verify anything because since my aunt's passed away, uh, it's also Karen's aunt. But so, he, so the story was in the um, latter years of her life. My aunt was dating a man who was a mathematician, and he's his one of his idols was John Nash. And so as a birthday present, does everything she can to reach out to John Nash and being the, you know, ambitious person she was, she was able to do it. So she, she got him online, you know, emails, uh, eventually a phone call. And actually this, well, the way the story goes, the first phone call she got was from John Nash's wife. Kind of being like, are you a real person? Wow. Yeah, and and she goes, yes, yes. My, my boyfriend is, you know, this person he works." He worked here I think he was retired at the time worked here he's you know he would love to meet your husband and she was like oh I, I think kind of relieved that
0: um, she was real yeah real and also probably not someone yeah. pranking who had seen the movie or something yeah, like that. yeah. right
2: right and yeah genuine, a genuine reach out yeah. and they ended up having brunch together and hit it off and ended up multiple times thereafter going to lunch or brunch and, and developing you know
0: at least a, a decent friendship. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very very cool stuff. Nice. Uh, tra- tragically, John Nash passed away. Well, John and Alicia Nash, Nash both passed away. Oh. Um, yeah, in a, a taxi cab accident on the Jersey mm-hmm. Turnpike. They were heading home from the Newark airport. I think they had visited Norway, I, want, I don't want to say, as, a, as a, my research has said. My, my laptop has frozen at this point, by the way, folks. <laughs> so it, so I, we're, we're going off cuff here. Uh, yeah, um, on the Jersey Turnpike, in the back of the cab, just uh just ejected through the wasn't, weren't wearing seatbelts and ejected through the through the windshield horrible horrible God. stuff yeah he was 86 she was 81 I 82 the very very sad stuff um also you know the same year tragically that the James Horner did the score and also the score of this and uh Titanic and Braveheart. Uh, was in a plane crash, a, a, a solo casualty plane crash. He's flying his own plane. And well, sorry to end on a little sad note there, but we did want to yeah. kind of complete the story there. Brendan, you started in the beginning with this. It is a wonderful story of romance here in yeah. this one. You can see the bond between these two throughout. And, and I do think it is is wonderfully portrayed from Jennifer Connolly, from, from Russell Crowe. And I will say this in a lot of the knocking that has gone on of this this week and putting this out there. It does seem to be the one thing that everyone says, though, is it's wonderfully. It's wonderfully acted. No one seems to knock the What out. are people's real problems? Well,
1: it? is it other movies? Is it, you know, is it the. It's time year? right now to, see, get to get to Come on, let's get is, to it. I'm a good Jake.
3: segue artist here. Let me ask you a question about the final speech. He, That whole final speech is about her and how great she was to him. And it's just like, when I first heard it, it's almost like jarring because he spent his whole. The beginning of the whole movie, the whole half, the whole three-fourths of the movie, thinking about how am I going to get my new idea, be the greatest m- mathematician, make my mark on history, Every nothing matters, you know, what's better, What's more important than work. And then at the very end, he finally realizes, mm. you know, that there's something else out there. Yeah. So at first I'm like, really, that's what John Nash is about? And then I think about it, I'm like, yeah, like she literally stepped into everything he did and was like, we're going to do this together. And she, he would have never gotten there without her in this movie. You know the way she was with him in this movie. For sure, she was the lifeline.
0: Yeah, well said. Well said. So we we are getting Twitter's <laughs> chance to lash back here. They will. We have. We will have all the questions and comments. I want to that talk we're sent. about the makeup. So if you if you're if <laughs> the you, makeup's if, amazing. If you, if, <laughs> I don't want uh, to hear say, to it, say <laughs> it say it say it. So if you if if you're sitting at home and you've been. Just just pulling your hair out listening to us uh, praise elements of this movie. Which I, I Put the think, violins listen, away. I realize we were largely pretty positive amongst the four of us. And we'll, yeah. we'll get into the, the awards and how we break this down a little further. But I, I do think that we're... We're coming at it pretty fair. We're coming at it. We're not. We're not just doing the Chris Farley. <laughs> that was great. That was awesome. You remember when?
1: You remember when? You were in Gladiator? <laughs> that was great.
0: Remember when Ed Harris showed up in the trench car <laughs> Do, do the, you remember the Ed Harris chase and the, the the car went into the water? Oh, that was awesome. That was so good. Was... Before we get to the Twitter questions, where you're gonna out there, you're gonna nitpick quite a bit, we do need to enter the nitpick zone. So you're gonna get our nitpicks first, the little things that we had that stood out to us that we wanna just maybe question a little bit under the magnifying glass. Are we ready to head to the nitpick zone, gentlemen? We are ready. We are entering the nitpick zone. Okay, this Anyone is would like to start? I already have... He's gearing to go here. I right. have several. Have? All right, so...
1: Let's start with one. All right. <laughs> I can't start with several. So... <laughs> you have before, but go on. <laughs> the scene where they're looking up at the stars, and he says, pick a shape. Okay. In 1947, or whatever year this is taking place, there is not a lot of light pollution. So that star view with all those stars is somewhat accurate. There, you would see that many stars. Mm-hmm. It is impossible to stand next to someone, point their hand in the air, and say, look at that star and that star and that star, and now we have an umbrella. There are... Way too many stars. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's a stupid scene. That's my least oh, favorite scene wow. of the movie. Wow. Oh, I Look did it. like that scene. No, I, I, I did. Well, you're there's a space guy. You're a space guy. There's some, <laughs> there's, some good, there's some good dialogue yeah. about being odd ducks. Uh, it was a fun connection between the two. I right. Totally agree, but that, that stupid umbrella.
0: Oh, I see. Another. I think. I, was, it I, octo- the hate. was it octopus the next came Yeah, second. it was so
1: <laughs> stupid. It was
2: so stupid. See, my take on that was that. Here's a man that's so awkward and so serious all the time, you know. She's she's kind of intrigued by, and he's pulled out this sort of playful game that she wouldn't have ever expected to
1: to occur. Totally fine. I'm. It, we're in the nitpick zone, right? Yeah. Now. All
0: right. Well, and part of the nitpick zone is that
1: we are uh, we hash them out. So I, I want mean, it to I be I, real, I, and this is just unrealistic. I think, I I think, think head that's head how head... she
2: fell in love with him on that scene.
1: I just she, have she, you ever she, been to Montauk? You've been to Montauk. Yeah. You ever look at the stars at night? I was just there. a you go? Way yeah. too many stars. Yeah. Imagine well, someone said, "Make an umbrella and point to the specific and imagine stars." It, and imagine you're it was making the that. you love, and it didn't matter that you and couldn't figure out the pattern. I don't care. i an audience
0: member. head to head. You know, left eye next to next to right eye, holding hands. You don't think that he nope. could
1: point her direction to no, certain stars? Yeah. Have you been to Montauk and look at the stars at night? There are okay.
0: Trillions. Also, of it's also stars. possible that she was just. Yes, again. Today. Yeah, at my point, At totally. the moment, close to hitting the cutting room floor. By the way, the scene um, it was on paper one of the ones that they thought they probably were going to X out. It's but wow, te- It's kind but of the weird. Ke- the, the they they're good together. The chemistry, chemistry together. between the two yes. of them was blue blew, blew everyone away, and they said we got to keep this thing. Here. And uh, and it would it hit big in the focus room. Still, there you go. So the rod <laughs> yeah. Howard focus this is my focus room it was a scene that they. these had. are Very my good.
1: focus group results <laughs> that
3: was cool how we did that he did also goes back to that in the da vinci code you know like seeing things illuminated shapes yeah uh, yeah looking at yeah. things i like that, that the hangover makes fun of it <laughs> it's yes that's, cool. right, that's in, right in the
1: opening scene of of beautiful mind this tie illuminates with the star and the moon yes, Is that, yes it's an yes, equation yes, for how yeah, bad your c- tie c- could be cool, yeah, a cool technique citrus. and it, you see
0: those early stages of cgi where we're not going overboard we're just doing touches with yeah. it you know but it shows you that
3: he sees things differently you know and
0: it's very cool uh, okay, so I'll throw a nitpick out there. Jennifer Connolly, Russell Crowe, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, Paul Bettany, all in their 30s playing college students. Uh, I don't I don't want to be that guy, but come on. I didn't even notice <laughs> I, mean, it. I mean, like, I college I didn't students. didn't even notice like, it. Like, they're 18-year-olds. I mean, Russell Crowe. Uh, I he's, didn't he's, even notice it. He's like 38. You just, just like cut him higher. Did you? Like, you, did, you higher did you? think
1: cuts? about that? Though, watching it, he just took over Rome
0: it? the last year. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's to me. <laughs> As an I, I guess i so we it back to the, the defender
2: people. of all nitpicks. Yeah, um, nitpicks. <laughs> The devil's advocate um, over right. here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's an artful pick in in the sense that, you know. You need someone
0: to play younger and older. You have to you're, age you're, them. You're go I, I get it. 30. I get it. And it's, it's an annoying nitpick because you see it in movies all the time, you're playing age and stuff. But it's Hard. just like all of them were in their 30s. So so like, you know, some have... older than others, but it's just like. You, Jennifer Connolly's your... like 36. I'd rather
2: have that nitpick than the nitpick from, from Chariots of Fire where you got these guys in the
0: beginning of the movie who have horrible makeup. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That horrible was, horrible yeah, makeup. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just horrible. Yeah, that was bad. Jay, the a nitpick for us.
3: My nitpicks were the shootout scene with uh, Parcher.
0: Over the top, we did discuss that. Dr. Rosen
3: somehow thinking it was nice to storm in, chase him across the campus, wrestle him, stick him with a needle. Aggressive. Um, and then carry him back to his laboratory. I have that down yeah. to
0: Major nitpick. Why would they approach so aggressively? <laughs> unless, yeah, aggressive.
3: unless they want us to think it was fake. You know, like right. he, it he was, was imagining manipulating it. it. It
1: was manipulating was, the audience. was, you know, aggr-
3: it, give me that. I'm, I'm like, all right. Aggressive, hey,
1: aggressive psychology. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry. All right, Ron Howard. Yep. So also like, the outfits. Why would is, they be Why would they, they be dressed a,
1: like, like... Like the men in yeah. black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is aggressive psychology. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, my also nitpick was the lack of Ron Howard talk on Spl- uh, Splash, <laughs>
0: Cocoon, Willow, Backdraft... And T V Oh you're to pick you're making me for not bringing it up. Is that <laughs> no,
3: <everybody. laughs> and, and the Jay, Grin- and Jay. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Jay, you,
0: you wanna talk you wanna talk uh, Willow, Jay, you have a microphone. Let's talk Willow. Um, I'm gonna be how the Grinch Stole Christmas. Willow. I'll say this yeah. same costume designer for oh, this yeah. one, and she was nominated for the Oscar. Not for A Beautiful Mind, but for How the Grinch Stole Christmas. There was, was her lone Oscar nominee that did not win. Brenny you've nitpick. Yeah, so my nitpick we've, we've talked about it a little bit earlier
2: is that they rush through the end of the movie. That's that's really my nitpick. Is that they spend a lot of time on his psychosis, like him in his psychosis world, I and mean, it's it's the first in an in two hours and twenty
0: minutes. It's the first hour of the movie. Yeah, um, and, and and it kind of. Merging it into those montages at the end there. Right. You know. I,
2: I look at I look at the movie as a three act play and the first act was too long. Um, yeah. first act's an hour. Uh, yeah. And, of a two hour. And, and then they have an hour movie. and twenty
0: minutes for the next for the next two acts. That's that's a fair point. That's a fair criticism. I gotta say too, what is such a shitty moment, but so real. And goes on everything. The guy mimicking him behind his his back. I couldn't stand that.
1: Oh man! I, I, that man, I wish that so in scene. In I, wish I, so so I wish that in scene. I wish that scene wasn't room. in the movie. That's good. That's yeah. very <laughs> true. Yeah, me too. That's you know a what, very though? good point. You I wish I that scene wasn't in the I, movie. I was thinking
3: the same thing. It kind of makes you a bummed out. You feel good for him. Thing. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> things are going well, and then you get like this. Shock, then they just fucking
1: bully him for no reason, and then they cut back to it. You
0: know, already Though I hate this. I hate every time that I've seen that in real life. Yeah, it's a reality of society. Totally. You know it's shitty to watch in a movie, but they're not ignoring that people don't understand someone right. of of a certain struggle yeah. and what they Abundant go through and, and, and meanwhile, mental health in general. Yeah.
2: Meanwhile, you have <laughs> one of the greatest minds that's left alive walking down your campus, and you're mocking him. Right? Yeah. Like you just don't if get you it. Just take five
1: seconds. All right, to Chad. Out who this guy is? Yeah, you yeah. Know? Chad with his backpack. Oh. Already right, nitpick. Let's go. So in, in real life, his wife Alicia was El Salvadorian. And originally, Salma Hayek was supposed to be cast for this. she at least
3: been in El Salvador? They said she had an accent, didn't they? Who? In real life. Yeah, she's... She should have been
0: portrayed like that. She right. was of El, El-, El-, El Salvadorian descent. Yes.
1: But then like, I saw the other people that were considered, and I was like, you know what? Of these other people, like Brittany Murphy almost got the role. That
0: would have not worked. I so love, like, I love, Alicia, I
1: love so Brittany like,
0: Murphy. I love Brittany Murphy. Fine I don't
1: think works. that would have worked. So like yeah. she's uh, it's even more atrocious than she's El Salvadorian.
0: We discussed this a little bit in the Argo episode with Ben Affleck playing a, a, a Latin American, and you know it's it's not great when they do that. It is Hollywood. This stuff has been going on for years. Do you have more nitpicks, Brendan? I have more. I have I have one I'd like to throw up. Kieran let's hear it. Um Why doesn't Nash have a roommate? What is this gig that he's landed here? Where he has just a, a single giant room to himself? What, I, I colleges a, in the Northeast do not work that way. You get I, you get
1: crammed into a sardine can with two other rooms. I don't know about I, I have a boring, so. annoying answer for this. Okay, what do you got? Yeah, everyone go to sleep. But um, the school Carnegie Institute of Technology, you're handpicked to go to. You're not like it's not like you apply like they reach out to you and go you come to this school and you get your room and, and your everyone office. has a, everyone has a single yeah because you get your if you're if you're a brilliant mathematician yes you Ooh, get an okay. office and a room and and, and that's are, why when he walks in he first walks in he goes hey the prodigal roommate has returned he goes roommate Cause yeah he thinks he's uh, living yeah, can, alone and yeah. and okay. think
2: about the orientation too it's, the orientation I think it's the is the first is, yeah, scene of the movie we're and, basically and hiring like,
1: you to save the country yeah
2: you. The, People who <laughs> sat in your chairs
0: have like made the A bomb. Yeah, <laughs> we won the math. Yes. And there's won about ten the people in the room. The
1: opening scene is, is very nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, well, I have one last dumb one uh, to just like I just threw this out there in the bridge in the river quite too. I it's just a little pet peeve of mine. Excessive blood being drawn from not very heavy impact. You know, he, he smashes his head on the glass, it doesn't yeah, he looks really really like
1: break. He looks like fucking and, and he's bleeding mankind. Like,
0: he's, he's he's bleeding like Ric Flair <laughs> at the side of the ring, you know, like he just he just juiced himself. This is time for Twitter to bounce back and, and get those comments out here. Here we go. It is it is going to be interesting here. So we're going to start. And I know you were itching big on this one, Jay. Zeta Short, at Zita Short, she said, how bad is the old age makeup? Jay, would you like to take this first? I actually would agree with it. Really?
3: At the end speech, when I first see Jennifer Connelly go from like the last time I saw her to the 1994. Her like, specifically. Ah, yeah, I was like, because eh. I've seen him more, right? You're seeing him age a little bit more and more, and then I see her. I'm like, ah. But then when I watch it like four more times, I'm like, it's not bad. It's not <laughs> four, bad. Four tired. Tired. It's it not good. bad, but it is jarring to see her, her. initially. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't thought, seen it. I thought for it was great.
0: I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, I thought the makeup was really good. I just watched Jay Edgar in my in my Clint Eastwood <laughs> so run. You. Boy, that makeup is as bad as everyone said <laughs> that it, yeah. it was. I mean, it is it is rough.
1: Was she nominated for this movie? Uh, for Beautiful Mind. For makeup? makeup? Yeah, Makeup was nominated. Yeah, just, so interesting. Enough, did a
0: great job. Interesting enough, all three nominees for Makeup were Best Picture nominees, too, which is kind of like an odd thing. Usually Makeup is like, is like you know, Nutty, fantasy pro- nutty Professor or something. Like that. Yeah. But this one was a fantasy movie. It was, the winner was um, Lord of the Rings. You oh,
2: know, boy. and... Right, rightfully
0: so.
2: I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, is that... Now they just use CGI to, like, make people look older. They don't have to do, <laughs> they don't have to
0: do it as practically as they did. Maybe, maybe we're just not used to looking at makeup. Yeah, it just answers you like, after watching Jay Edgar, which comes out 10 years later, I, I thought the makeup was pretty solid. It worked for me. I mean, yeah, I like the great. nominee. That's good. Uh, Gabe Gorian asks, how badly has this aged? I don't think the it a, a, a loaded question, It is bro. a loaded
1: question. I don't think it's aged at all. I think biopics are even hotter now than How ever, could right? How this movie age? I think Brendan's actually quite accurate. It has not aged much. I, I have heard a bunch it's of just people... Just the same now as it was then. In in looking at this movie
0: discussed a little bit, I've heard a bunch of people say that this movie has aged poorly. I don't get it. I, I, like, I we, we, discussed that a, we discussed that a bit in the Rain Man episode, and I disagreed there, too. I mean, there's some 80s vibes going on there at that, but I I, I think... And, and obviously, the societal's understanding of autism is way different now than it was in 1988. But I, I think the movie, for what it was then, was fine. This is was a bit of a period piece, anyway. I don't, you know, I I know we're 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 more honed into mental health, and I think that the society as a whole is a little more understanding of some of these issues, and than they certainly than they were in 2001. But I I this time around, I was kind of personally surprised at how it hasn't aged poorly. Hasn't, yeah. And and I don't I, think it's I aged know, at all. And I know
2: everyone's cracked on the, uh, the the car chase scene, but I think that's what makes the movie not age. Is they so overdo the the hallucination and and they don't go back to explain it. Was what was what I said before? Manipulating that the that it, it makes you realize they're not trying to portray schizophrenia. They're trying to tell a story,
3: right?
1: And the story's great,
3: you know. And does it pass the Kieran Black technology test. Well, I don't see many phones, beepers and this Yeah, no, no, well, an It
0: only goes up to 94. It, but it, does, it does have all the fake technology in the 50s so it purposely goes against the uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the system there. Okay, next. Uh, how wild is it that the man who wrote the screenplay for this Best Picture winner also penned Batman, Batman Robin? and Robin? <laughs> yes,
1: I was hoping you would bring that up. Let's it kick off. some ice is <laughs> the name that he puts out there. He also wrote, Andrew
0: Corns for that one. Yes, Andrew
1: Corns. He also wrote Cinderella relevant. Man, which is a wonderful movie. Ooh, uh, yeah, Ron Gosford Parker is that, am I a producer. Yeah, okay. He has a lot of producing credits. Right. Batman and Robin, I think, is ninety
0: nine or ninety seven. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Batman, but well, I'm just saying. Well, I'm saying it's a couple years before this. Oh yeah. So yeah. the fact that it goes from that to an Oscar nomination is pretty is pretty wild.
2: My position on Batman and Robin mm-hmm. is. I, it's taken me a long time to come to this position. I, just, just... I don't have a position on this <laughs> Someone <laughs> rolled out a lot of money and they said, I don't give a shit what you do. It's going to sell in the box office. And it did. Everyone got paid and that was it. It was a sellout movie.
0: Yeah, a hot mess. You can't fault George Clooney. I can't Arnold fault him for
1: taking a paycheck. No, of sure. course not. Okay.
0: Okay. Next we have, also from Andrew Korns, How has this movie aged compared to other prominent 2001 films like Training Day, AI, Fellowship of the Ring, Ocean's Eleven, Ali, Royal Tenenbaums, etc.? I'm I'm upset they included AI in that list. That's yeah, a horrible yeah movie. I don't... Movie AI, sucks. AI should not be in discussion for Oscars. Sucks. I mean, I think those I are all, how is... Those, those are all are good movies, stuff?
3: but they're different movies than of, what A Beautiful Mind is. Like, yeah. How do you compare... You know, and I don't see
0: Ocean's Eleven line. being considered for a Best Picture mm. No, situation. I love that. Best Picture? I might consider that. I might like,
1: consider uh, that. Best Picture? I might consider that. I might
2: consider that. It's
0: a perfect uh, movie. It's, yeah. it's what the is on day, steroids? I yeah. think Training Day could have right. been could have been up for Best Picture. I think that that one. Training came, Day wasn't uh, up I for like Best that. Picture. Oh, that was a
1: stupid one. It was it only did five movies. Yeah, there was only five. Uh, yeah,
0: in a, in a ten Dude. movie year, training I day. think Training Day would have been in. I guess. Hold on though. With, with Royal Tenenbaums would have been in. I'm sure in a ten. I mean, ten yeah, ten definitely.
2: Bombs. Oh, definitely. Now that movie surpasses
0: time. I really do. hundred percent. Yeah. I gotta say this though. You know. I love Michael Mann, and I know he's got a bunch of fans out there. That say, I don't hear any of his fans talking about Ali. No, you know the I like that movie. I thought Will Smith
3: was a good yeah, and was he good comedy. in it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it just, I, I made, love
0: everything
2: it didn't Will Smith does in the so, theater. So. It's, it's, I'm, I haven't. You're a big Will Smith fan?
0: Oh yeah. Next, we have uh, from Ben Miller. <laughs> it's the the hits keep coming here. Is it in the bottom five for best picture winners? No. Oh. Can answer that We question. have a ranking section. I guess we'll get to that the then. Guys, but I, no. I just all oh, the best I mean, I'll spoil can, it now. We've covered five movies this season that are clearly <laughs> worse than I, I'm, *A Beautiful Mind*. They're clearly worse. Chauncey tells. Chauncey says, "Is the adapted screenplay win the most egregious of its Oscar wins? Is Jennifer Connelly's win the most forgotten acting win of the decade?" <laughs> Uh, it goes against yeah, every loaded question <laughs> <we have laughs> on yeah, all of these
1: it. hours. Do we have any non-loaded questions? Um, uh, so Jay, you've you, you, you've I think we answered. Yeah, you we spoke about this, <laughs> pranked the screenplay <laughs> for two it was, hours. The
0: screenplay we pranked
1: for two hours.
0: Hold on, it let's. let's yeah, well, like, let's. Okay, ra- rather than just laughing it off, let's. Let me ask a direct question. If someone were to go up to you and say that they felt that the win for screenplay for Beautiful Mind was egregious. In a few sentences, how would you? What would your rebuttal be?
2: So, if I were to answer that question, I'd say the screenplay has a decisive movement between a character who's a very compelling one in the beginning and extremely more compelling in the end, and goes against what he believed in in the beginning. To me, that is that's the equation for a perfect a perfect screenplay.
0: Yeah, and to, um, to tie in that romance end of it too, like you said, right. run in between the two characters, but having you know, you, Jennifer Connelly doesn't come in until the first half hour. She's not in the first half hour of the movie, and becomes one of the most driving forces of the entire movie. And I, I think to intertwine the story of John Nash with the allegorical analysis of, of schizophrenia and mental health, along with the power, the power of love. You know, the the romance, <laughs> the whole the whole shtick there and which we didn't get too much in is the bond of family and how you can't just run away and right. and even even though you know there's a separation there and that the baby's taken to the mother's house was it, alicia never ran away from john nash she 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 went back in the in in the foxhole with him and she she was in the trenches with him i thought i thought the screenplay juggled a lot of things and did it in a pretty concise way and we talked about the runtime and the 220 really cooking I, there's not really a, a, a bored moment of this, a, a tired moment of this. You know, I, it's one thing we didn't talk about was the handkerchief, which is a continuing um,
2: symbol throughout the movie, and it it begins when Jennifer Connelly gives it to him. He's taking a picture with the governor, and then they they walk outside, and she goes, he goes, "Oh, I should give you this back," and she says, "No, keep it for luck." And he says, "I don't I don't believe in luck, but I believe in assigning things value." Yeah. So he has this very kind of calculated idea yeah. of life and things. And then you jump forward to his speech in the end when he says, I've been through the physical, I've been through the metaphysical and all the time it was you. You got me through everything. And it was a thing that he couldn't, he could never have calculated quantify. that yeah. he couldn't quantify, couldn't calculate it. And boring. there's scenes throughout the movie where he's holding the handkerchief and he's holding on to it for dear life. And it's, that's the thing he can't figure
0: out is how that means so much to him that that quantity of value, you know. So. Yeah, and and the second half of that is Jennifer Connelly's win the most forgotten acting of the of the decade. I mean, I haven't forgotten it. I, I think for, for, forgotten is a is a the eye of the beholder. I mean, I, I, do people talk about Jennifer Connelly's win? I, I don't. He's probably got I, a good
3: point there, though.
0: Is I mean, she didn't go on to be a big lead acting star. It's early um, in the
3: decade, right? And it's probably her biggest role. Oscarized. She might she might
1: suffer from Adrian so. Brody syndrome, where her best acting performance comes very early on in his career. Yeah, and it was yeah, it career. wasn't
0: crazy early. I mean, I, I listen. Pretty I, early I think that, Requiem's I, two years earlier. I think that she gets tremendous praise from her performance in Requiem for a Dream, and this gets merged onto that. And this was this was her win. And I think people talk about Requiem first. So if it's forgotten, I think it's forgotten. Because of its its proximity to, to Requiem for a Dream and and Requiem for a Dream is kind of pff, anyone who's seen it it's kind of an unforgettable movie you're not, not, you're not even really... for the best reasons right. but like it's it's uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if the reason that people are forgetting it has a little bit to do with with Darren Aronofsky's work there
2: I I, I in a in a way Screen testing. <laughs> don't like the idea of oh they're forgettable you know I, she actually strikes me as a type of actress that goes out not to be remembered, but to go out and make a good piece of art.
0: Yeah, that is that is um, an accurate description of her. She's a she's a kind of a timid personality. She's not a she's not a super outgoing But successful. Yeah, she also became a mom soon after this too. We got to remember that too. These people also live lives. You know, right. <laughs> not everyone is just
1: like a. Well, they don't. They a big movie ju- for ju- me. Ju- <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and, and, and how does this movie is my follow up?
0: Where is my
1: next movie? <laughs> but how can I gonna make
0: you a star? <laughs> but how? True? Uh, uh, okay, okay here we go. Here's uh,
1: some uh, uh, more Twitter hate. I don't I even know if pee.
0: this is a question, but <sighs> it's a paragraph from therefore a review. Don't get me started on the 74th Oscars exclamation point. A beautiful mind didn't deserve its wins while Memento got, while Memento got nothing. <laughs> nothing! Hashtag still bitter. Angry face. Nowadays, I'm sure everyone wonders how the fellowship didn't sweep if they think of a beautiful mind at all. Shrugging hand, hands. And it, we have uh, a, a meme of, of Gandalf going, indeed.
2: So, the same people who told me in high school to watch Memento were the same people who tell me to listen to Dream Theater, and they, they were both wrong.
1: Same <laughs> people who told me to watch Donnie Darko. Oh,
0: oh my god, I love the Dream Theater shade. Wow! Oh, boy. Just, just ripping out uh, dream theater yeah, t- as a whole. T- I, <laughs> <laughs> as a whole. Yeah. T- Twitter Sorry. does not like this movie, folks. They, I, I, this is kind of our first one of these. Where the public consensus of this one is just kind of very off with our episode. So maybe, I think maybe early on that might have been the case too. So it's going to be interesting hearing the feedback on this one too. I, I, we, I guess we lost some followers along the way here. But hey, listen, we, we can only call it as we see it here and and be honest with this. And You know, we, we try to, by having three or four of us, we try to, Maybe get some different perspectives in here with it. I, I don't know, man. I think we've we've shot pretty true with this one. I, I I hope that there's someone out here that that really had negative thoughts about this movie coming in, listened to the episode, maybe revisited the movie, and and maybe at least well, I, I don't I don't expect to change anyone's mind. Maybe at least just looked at it in a different light and saw it, and saw some of the tactics in in a way that wasn't just here we go with another biopic because. In the last 10, 15 years, I mean, it's been, it's been almost exactly 20 years since this one Best Picture. I think in the last 20 years, we have been inundated with biopics. And I think retrospectively, if you're, if you're in your 20s, you weren't, you didn't live this movie, you could look back and kind of be jaded by some of those biopics. So that that's my take on it. Uh, I think the Lord of the Rings stuff, we'll get to that when we talk Lord of the Rings at the very end, but you know, probably hasn't helped it either, that it's a companion alongside the, the Fellowship of the Rings. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever get to comment
2: on the Lord of the Rings, but I, I think the biggest shame that was done to the Lord of the Rings was giving the third movie the. The best picture. Well, I think God, it was right. better off just being, it for the episode. being its own. Well,
0: but, yeah. well let's, you might be on the episode. Let's talk about that because I have a little bit to say about that when we do the other nominees because there is a giant domino effect here that starts with Apollo 11 and goes all the way through to The Departed. So we'll, we'll, mm. we'll get to that. Okay. It is now time for the BPC Awards for A Beautiful Mind. Artie, we're going to have you go first with your MVP for A Beautiful Mind.
1: My MVP is Russell Crowe. His performance is Exceptional,
0: yeah, great performance for sure. I think that I knew someone was gonna gonna go there, and uh, it's uh that is a uh, that is a nice a nice choice for this one. Brendan MVP for beautiful minds. I'm
2: going with Hanson.
0: Hanson. <laughs> wow. Hanson, the guy, the guy uh, from his his rival there in the be- in the beginning and the, the in the end there. Yeah,
2: I, honestly, I think that he he's one of the most important characters in the
1: movie. So he's in like six percent of the movie. He's <laughs> Russell. Look, Jay, you're Jay, you're you're smiling. <laughs> <a little laughs> character,
2: Nash's character relies on Hanson. He has his his come to period where he he overcomes his psychosis, but he relies on that extra benefit of a friend to
3: move him forward and Hanson's a person. You want to know my. MVP.
0: What, what do you got, Can you
3: Yes. And Martin Hansen.
0: What? What, <laughs> oh, <laughs> what is going out. on here? Yeah. No. He
3: is the uh, a, one, a great example of forgiveness in the movie. He butts heads with John in the beginning, but it's always like playful. You know, I guess that they uh, diss on each other, but it's always competitive. And I think they like that part about each other. They bring out that competitive nature. And at the end, when John's at his lowest... Martin is there to be like, dude, we were always friends, like, we're cool. And he just kind of lets John be John, and it's just a great character and great person to have in your life.
2: And he risks his entire reputation on John Nash, just just doing that Good Samaritan
0: Uh, effort. I'm I'm mystified, horrified, stupefied, petrified. petrified. <laughs> Why, yeah, that I am just I can <laughs> I, I am stunned. I, this, is, this is the most shocking double up on an MVP I think we've ever had here in BPC history. I I, I I I I'm at a loss for words. Mystified. Perfect. <laughs> Who do you have? Uh, I have, I my MVP is Jennifer Connelly. I thought she was the heart and the soul of this movie. She stole. Every moment that she had to steal in this movie, she was uh, the center of some of the most emotionally impactful scenes in the movie. It is no surprise to me that she won an Oscar. It is super, it is a super memorable win for me. I, I just, to me, she is, she is the emotional core of this movie and for me was an easy MVP. So why
2: they gave her best supporting actress. I yeah, she gave, and, and, and I would have gone, actress, yeah, I would have gone
0: for lead actress. I thought that there was a little bit of cat- category finagling going on there. LVP. LVP is next. Artie, your LVP. Marcy. Marcy, the
3: little child that runs
1: around in the fields.
0: Like <laughs> Doesn't even, even the, so, That's the no, least so lack Should of value. Day, day, day. The, <laughs> the, 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 the pigeons. Doesn't even
1: bother the pigeons.
0: <laughs> yeah, the pigeons didn't even get disturbed by it. That's it. Now, I actually, I thought she, I, I, I know you're a stickler for child acting. I, I thought she was actually decent in it. She it worked for me. Jay, LVP.
3: My LVP, I know you guys will love this. Is oh. Christopher
2: Plummer. Oh
0: my God! Oh yeah, oh my God. You, can't, you, can't, <laughs> you can't. This, can't this have is Artie. Artie is not. Uh, Artie is not happy here. This is a sacrilege uh, on the RDB, the yeah, RDB yeah, turf The RDB turf. It's Hard to find uh, LVP. You know he had the yeah. he had the smallest role i of ever. It will rise. It will
3: rise. You know, a character that almost anybody can play, so it's just very easy to. He'd be the last one to be like, "All right, I can, I can give him the." And what about Christopher Plummer oozing sexual oh, so, something? What's so, your quote?
1: Golly, he's gorgeous. Mm.
0: Uh, I, I, he, I again loved him in this. We, we did say that this is a tough one to pick. Everybody, every performance was like really kind of super solid down the line. It was tough to. It was tough to pick out little little parts of this too so I, I you know this is how we're going to run into to issues here so in the LVP you can't zone. run away from it Brendan your LVP LVP I'm going with Bender Bender. the yeah the, the the duo with with soul
2: it's a forgettable role I mean I, I guess important in that soul needs a, a second person next to him but it really doesn't matter who it is and this actor and character doesn't really put anything up to compete for an a role mention or any any
0: such so yeah it's hard to argue with that i mean there, i think being the fact that you have you're kind of you have the two of them replaying their role from from dazed and confused and that's kind of the nice charming aspect to it but i think the problem with that becomes uh, when you have someone who wasn't like that prominent of an actor in between those two periods you're going to run into the risk of him falling behind a bit and i i do think that it is it's a pretty pragmatic choice for for LVP. I I can't I can't fully argue with that. My LVP was kind of the over the top nature of the of the Ed Harris scenes. Not Ed Harris himself. I thought Ed Harris himself was, you know, was outstanding and, and I, I love I loved his his um, iconic role in this thing. But it does, does the the two scenes the, the car chase scene Jay that we talked about a little bit both in nitpicks and before that. And the scene in the laboratory with the getting the insertion in the arm and just a little bit too much, you know, just I thought it was a little manipulative to the audience. Just just kind of very Hollywoody and just didn't need to didn't need didn't need to be in this movie that I thought already had a lot of. Human nature driving this thing—that that that aspect was a little over the top to me, and and took some value away when I'm going to be approaching this thing in the in the rankings.
2: I, I think if you rewatch that movie without that chase scene, it's 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 not the same movie. But you but your point is, is,
0: is yeah, well I don't know. I I don't think that that would really affect it for me. I I. I think that 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 seems there for the first time viewer and the rewatch. I, I think that there's some problems with it, but I, I, I see the other side too. And Participation award is next, probably a, a more appropriate place to award a Hanson, but uh, we had he got some MVPs already, so shocked the world we getting this. <laughs> I, like, uh, yeah, the People on um,
1: Twitter are like, What? <laughs> <laughs> I disagree with him on everything
0: else, so. Artie. Your, your participation award,
1: Christopher. Gorgeous plumber.
0: Yes, sure. I mean I, I. think that we have a whole podcast of you raving about Christopher Plummer. Sign can,
1: me the fuck up.
0: <laughs> you can check out our Sound of Music episode with Artie raving, and probably our rankings episodes too with Artie raving about all yeah. things Sound of Music. But uh, I, I had to say I was
1: super fired up when he walked on screen. I forgot he was in this movie. I was, I was pumped up with it. He's great. Every line he delivers, he does a great job. He's not just a, a name and a face in the movie. He really does a great job.
0: Yeah, slides into that character actor role really, really I do nicely. I love his voice. Jay's LVP already was your participation award. Brendan, your LVP will be my participation award. I have Bender and Soul as my, uh, as my participation awards. I just love the duo. I loved, uh, I love bringing, bringing back. The duo from Dazed and Confused. I love the symmetry with American Graffiti. How all that kind of came full circle. And the symmetry involved there, Jay. You know, symmetry. So, oh, yeah. That's yeah. symmetry. That's symmetry. Yeah.
2: That's what you
0: did yeah. <laughs> Brennan, your preservation award. I'm going to go with Ron Howard here.
2: Everyone calls him Bland. You guys called him, you know... Vanilla. Uh, uh, vanilla. I-, I think what he did here was compelling. Most of it relied on the what the actors did for the movie which is why i give him the participation award without the actors and actresses he couldn't have have done it but he he was the cohesive glue.
0: yeah man i gotta say therein lies the problem a little bit though with with the in the world around howard is just the fact that as the director he's getting into a participation award category like i think he's playing second fiddle to a lot of the components of the movie which you could say maybe is a good thing, is maybe it's sometimes rather than a director being super hands-on and, and you know, insisting on things and changing on things, and he kind of laid back and let the pieces dictate the way. Yeah. It's interesting. I think he could have been the MVP. When you were
3: talking about how all these different scenes have different like themes and lightings, and they're shot different, I think that's a testament to like him being like, very on the level of John Nash and thinking through his eyes. This hmm. movie's pretty much a lot through his POV.
0: Yeah, he, he had to be a bit of a player's coach in this one. You know, he had to... <laughs> he's a great
3: actor director, right? I'm
0: participation award,
3: Jack. My participation award goes to James Horner. For mm. The score, uh, mm. Undeniable. You hear it right off the bat. You talked about the uh, difference in the score during the chase scene and how it's slow and maddening. And I think he does a fantastic job. This is a quote from Ron Howard talking about when he talked to James Horner about how the music should be... And Ron Howard said to him that high-level mathematics is less about numbers and solutions and more akin to a kaleidoscope in that ideas evolve and change. And you see that, like, that's how, like, the movie shot, and there's, like, a lot of kaleidoscopal, uh, you know, moments. And you had said that, Kieran, about, you know, like, high-level mathematicians don't even think in numbers anymore. It's more about, like, ideas evolving and what's next and change and stuff. And so I love that quote and I think James Horner did a great job conveying all that in throughout the film.
0: Yeah, I love that. And this completes our, our James Horner trilogy there. We already had our, our Brave Heart and our Titanic episodes and I think that there's something about the mood to this movie and the shifting moods. And we talked about how the camera and Roger Deacon's camera work did, did an amazing job with that. The score really set that too. It really did, it, it was a very moody movie. I will say though, runner up for my LVP is that horrific song in the in the closing credits where we have someone shrieking at us like they're like a, a bad volunteer in the in the church congregation. Um, and, and everyone else in, in, in town has to listen to this. Uh, and, and I think like James Horner was trying to follow that Titanic formula that he set up there where, where you know, at the last minute we're gonna take the score and turn it into a, a, a hit song and bring Celine Dion and have her come in and it worked wonderfully with Titanic. I think it's probably the biggest song in any of these movies that we'll ever talk about. Never. Not so mm-hmm. much with uh, what all that love is, you know, <laughs> at the end of, 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 of A Beautiful Mind. The Time Machine recast. Take anyone, any point, bring them into this movie. Um, I'll go first. I'm recasting the Paul Bettany, uh, Charles character. Uh, I do really like Paul Bettany in this. It's tough to take him out of it. I do think he like, visually works really well. He's got like, the piercing blue eyes and the, the red hair and the pale skin with the suspenders coming over. And it's just, he, he imprints himself in your vision while you're watching this movie. So it's, kinda, it's a little bit weird to take him out of this thing. So if you're going to replace him, you better do it right.
4: What
0: do you do? And I'm going to take... A a candidate for the BPC Hall of Fame to put into a beautiful mind, possibly even take home a supporting actor award, I'm putting a young Robert Shaw in as the imaginary imaginary (laughs) visions of of John Forbes. Nash, we have Robert Shaw as a prodigal roommate coming through the room with his flask and his knickers from A Man for All Seasons. And uh, just just coming right into this mix here, I, no, think, no, I would
2: have gone on Heath Ledger with that one, but that's interesting. Yeah, but... I got the
0: I wanted a, a British actor to come in and do the no, no, do, it's do like the more job. More
3: liberties, the screenwriter or tears. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, the time the time machine recast can certainly be jarring, so I'm kind of doing a little callback to one of our old our old uh, insert Robert Shaw into the movie roles, and I think Robert Shaw as an imaginary character is just a, a wonderful thing. Artie, time machine recast.
1: Yeah, so in a totally different vein. I went with recasting Bender. Okay, Kevin James. Kevin James <laughs> as Bender. And what stage of Kevin James'
0: <laughs> prolific career are we putting him in this thing? The <laughs> early King of Queens? Like right now. We're going to. Oh, we're going. We're going washed up. <laughs> washed up, Kevin James. <laughs> right now in this one. Okay. Yeah. Artie's. Artie's been making fun of Ron Howard for all this time, and he just. He just. <laughs> He just cast Kevin James into the right. movie. I think Ron Howard's doing just fine already. Thanks. This
2: is so, hard. so
0: let's just go the uh, grown ups route then.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll remind you this is a time machine recast. It is a
0: time machine recast.
2: Um, I'm pulling the redhead from Dead Poet Society.
0: Okay. Yeah. Dylan Cussman,
2: person in the group who ended up being the antagonist.
0: Getting him in the mix. I love the love the Dead Poet Society shout out there. So it's a great one with the great Robin Williams.
2: Another campus movie.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Jay, Time Machine recast. You said you've been you've been Proud of this one, so you've been touting it here. What do you, what do you have well, for my us? my
3: LVP, I was touting because I know you guys love Christopher Plummer. My recast is Christopher Plummer's role. Okay. And I'm uh, going to give Vincent Price the role. Whoa! Wow, yeah. Yeah. You know, God! It, it, ah. you, know you it now. Know. Vincent Price <laughs>
0: on us. I love you can't that.
3: Trust that guy. I love
0: that we do. You <laughs> <laughs> can't at all. I don't know what that he's is, telling that you. That is that is great. That is I do love that. Is it that, that he comes in real devious looking? <laughs> like, yeah. Especially <with> his trench <laughs> is coat. He
1: telling the truth. Stabbing the needle into him.
0: Um. Yeah, <laughs> we just so often here we go like newer and and bring like modern people and put them into older ones. It's fun to see like a like an like an old horror star like what that. They do with, uh, yeah. Did, that wow. Oh, let's
4: go.
0: As much as I hate taking Christopher Plummer out of this, that's a that's a fun one <laughs> to put in. Bad. I like that oh. a lot. Scene of the movie here. Jay, do you want to go first?
3: Jennifer Connelly in the bathroom
0: mm, with the glass. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Talk to that house
2: that
0: scene yeah I mean that's super powerful Our impactful yeah. scene yeah. I
3: mean, it, it,
2: definitely on the top list I, I couldn't choose it because it was so it made me cry it yeah was,
0: it was painful yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was your scene Brent?
2: my scene is the last scene
0: yeah, the speech is, at the is end.
2: The speech yeah. at the end. I mean, it it just... It, any questions I had about that movie, it, it just summed everything up,
1: and I, I don't know. I, I, I cried, but I left the movie satisfied. Already seen the movie. This is a weird one. It's him saying goodbye to Charlie and Marcy in the hallway. Oh, God. Words.
0: That is a great choice. I, I, I gotta say, that was like... It, the second watch, man, is like that note-taking watch, and I don't... Often get like because you just watched a movie and that like that takes last you way. out
1: of note taking and takes you back into the movie. <sighs> it does. It really
0: and,
2: does, man. And it's prefaced by the scene that you had brought mm-hmm. up earlier.
0: So I miss talking to Charles. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's,
1: it's that's a really powerful I, scene for me. Great stuff
0: there. I, I I really love the restaurant scene, the the candle lit and you know, Jennifer Connelly the, the the lipstick and she's you know I I didn't think you were paying attention like that like that right. that's a that's a really really great scene and a transitional scene in because it, it's like the last. It's the last time you see them romantic together and, and the last time you see that, that usage of camera and that, that lighting and without that things,
2: cross that they're gonna bear. Yeah,
0: yeah, things are gonna turn yeah. after that. But I really love that, but I I can't deny that the most that the, the right hand hook to the face of this movie is the bathtub scene, the running out to the garage, the the revealing that oh no, he's he is he's a bit lost here. And Coming back in with with him knocking her down, that whole segment there, that that's just. Oh my god! While I didn't hard. love the ending there with the car, everything there leading up to it and the score, uh, James to score, Jay, as you as you put as, you, as your. Uh, your honorable mention there, your, um, your participation there. Uh, yeah. So that, 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 that would be my student. All, all good stuff. This one had a bunch of little scenes in there. It's, um, did anyone have a quote they have to get out there? I, I
1: got mine, Jay. Uh, did I it? did not yeah. get mine. Okay. Artie, what's your quote? He says, it is only in the mysterious equation of love that any logical reasons can be found. Hmm. And there goes back to Brennan, your uh, romantic themes there with the that's a the great
0: math, line. math versus versus romance. What a cool, what a cool, uh, what a and cool the combination of the two. Yeah,
3: it has a lot of good quotes. If you want IMDb, it does have good did, yeah. lines. Chock full of great it lines. Does have
1: good lines. There's good one liners in there.
3: Recited by every character.
1: And,
0: uh, Jay, what was yours?
3: Mine would be the scene where Alicia comes back in the room and she's, like, saying, this is real, you know, touching his face, Mm. having him touch her. And then she says, at the end, maybe the part that knows the waking from the dream, maybe it isn't here and points to his head and says, maybe it's here and points Mm. to his heart. Mm. And that was just, like, the perfect.
0: Yeah, good stuff.
3: That just encapsulates her, you know, being there for him entirely and bringing him back.
0: Love that. Okay, we're going to go to the, uh, the, the one-to-fives here. One-to-five, we start with performances. One being the lowest, five being the highest. Where do we go with the performances here in this one? Uh, Artie, we'll have you go first. Twitter's going to hate me. Okay. I'm a five. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I go the
2: same direction with my, it's the actors. I mean,
0: it's a five. Wow, I don't think yeah. Brendan's thrown a five out there. That's, yeah. a big, uh, that's a big moment there for BBC. I think you, Yeah, so Artie and Brendan, both fives. Jay, where are you going on this one?
3: Perfect Jay wow.
0: is going yeah, five I'm gonna I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold back and, and go four I'm gonna hold back and go four I, I do I do love all the performances in this I, I think they're super memorable and kind of where I've where I've recently been saying is like memorable versus unforgettable um, I think that these are memorable performances but not necessarily like truly unforgettable I mean I think that the the Jennifer Connolly performance is the one that stays with me the most ben Harris. Um, Ed Harris does stay with me to Russell Crow Ed Russell, Russell Crowe. So most of the main cast. So what was that about for? Yeah, it's just I I just don't I just don't think that there's like the greatest performances of all time in this thing. Um, I don't I don't think it's like I don't think it's horribly I, egregious that Russell Crowe lost. That's basically what it comes down to. Like to me, if if it were a five, I would be disgusted that Russell Crowe lost, and I'm not. I, I think. I get why he lost. I, I think Denzel's performance I was was has, has stood the test of time a bit more. Not to not to give I, credence to, for Twitter and their their un, their, their forgotten datedness. Of the, I don't think it's dated or forgotten. I think it's just it's a, it's like a, if we did the Grant halves, <laughs> it'd be a four point five. But I'm falling back. I'm I, falling back to the I four. I
2: agree with you on that. If you're going Russell Crowe to Denzel Washington, but we're talking about performance it, within in this the movie. Whole movie. Yeah, I, you're right. You're and right. I think, and, I, I think as a whole. A beautiful mind performances beat out training day.
0: And I think training day for me would also be a four. I don't think I would go five with training day either. I'm but and I, I think that there's a there's a, a lacking of a of a supporting actor nomination in this. Like I think a five would for me would require someone else who would be like, oh, that guy should have got an Oscar too. And I don't think that like while I liked Betney and I liked Plumber and I liked um, even, you know, Harris. even, even Gold, you know, Goldberg, Goldberg yeah, like Goldberg. even, even Goldberg, but none of them were, like, Oscar caliber, so just, it's, a, it's a very strong four for me. Ooh, God, I'm the low man in this fight, I didn't think I, I, think I would be there, but, okay, how the movie was shot, the camera work, how it's presented. You might as well go on the same water. Uh, already go. Three. A three, okay, and you, which you kind of led the podcast off with your thoughts I am on this, not you know.
1: overly... It's it's textbook. It's basic. It's what you should do. Nothing impressive. Yeah. Man, with that standard, I give it a two. I thought it was a
2: four. Okay. Brennan uh, gives it a four. It was tasteful. Thought it was classy. I don't think they overdid the period. It didn't like flaunt any of the. You know, they went through a few decades there. They didn't flaunt any of those decades.
0: Yeah, classy, that's a good point.
2: Classy,
3: tasteful,
0: understated in those areas with yeah. with with the time. I, I like that, Jay.
3: How it was yeah. shot. The style, I got to say a five. <laughs> Costume, I go with <laughs> uh, cinematography. Lighting, Roger Deakins. And uh, I think it was stylish and just very well put together. Quite yeah, concise. I thought there was a
0: extremely thoughtful camera work in this thing. It, it was it was almost kind of too subtle <laughs> where like I don't think the casual viewer can, can grab it. I certainly didn't my first times watching this. It took me to like really sit down and, and do research and look into it is what they're doing, which is... You know, I think a true five for me has to kind of be a little more like, again, unforgettable. I don't think the camera work in this was unforgettable. So it's a super strong four for me. Jay, I get the five. It's again, if we're doing the grant halves, I'm, I'm, you know, 4.5, I could be talked into, but I think Roger Deakins, I, I just, I love how he films structures and, and buildings. You know, we've seen in Shawshank so much, but you can see the, the panning up of a building in, in the camera work and, and showing the intimidation of returning to campus. You know, just kind of looking up the side of it and, and him walking back in. I, I think it was really, really strong storytelling through camera work. However, it, it kind of was lacking of the epic visuals that we'll get in some of the bigger
1: fives. Finally, the
0: story and how it's told.
1: Artie. Five. I'm Ron Howard. <laughs> <laughs> I, tell, I tell stories well.
2: So, I'm a five also. Um, and if, if your argument's that Ron Howard gets in the way of stories he didn't hear... You know, he, he did the story justice. This was an interesting story to be told and it was done with <laughs> allegory and symbolism and taste. I uh, I just I just think it's an all
3: around class.
0: Cool. Jet. Five. A five-five-five from Jay. I love it. I love a good five-five-five. <laughs> oh, I love a good five-five-five. Five. You
3: know, it's like we talked about. It. There's no bit uh, extra scenes in here. Every scene matters. It's very tall. To- it's told it, like we took incredibly well. Incredibly fast paced, and uh, it's uh, done incredibly well.
0: Well, I had a couple strong fours there leading into this one. This was kind of more of a in between three and a four for me. I think after talking to you guys, I, I I feel more confident cementing the four, and I, I think it sounds uh, real good to just fours across the board here. Uh, four, <laughs> I, I, uh, four again. It's paced wonderfully. Uh, I love the tonal shift. I love the moods that they did, and you know, I I think I feel better about this screenplay after talking to you guys and going through this than I did maybe going going into this conversation where I was I was probably prepared for. Maybe some criticism that didn't come out here. I'm sure the feedback of this will will um, combat that a bit. But All I right. think there are some wonderful choices in this. I think there's some wonderful themes in this. It doesn't bring home those like unforgettable themes that you get in some of the some of the fives that are thrown out here in this where I can really like think about entirely different things while I'm watching it the next time. That's that's how I'll I'll always kind of put the fives in this category is do I have new thoughts and and I think it comes very very close. This one comes very very close in, in getting to that spot. But I don't like. I don't think it totally nails down the allegorical nature that it was going for to get it to that five slot. But I'm 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 going for four for four across the board for me. There we go. Artie, you were a five three five. J five five five. Brendan, five four five. five four five. Which I believe is your highest rating to date. Is-
2: this movie just it approached me. I didn't have to look. You know, like with *Chariots of Fire*, I really had to dig out some yeah. sort of like, you know, some some themes and some clues. This this just threw everything at me, and it it was an enjoyable rewatch. And for a movie that I I was not excited to rewatch, I mean, I honestly put it off to the last minute.
0: You know, did it last night, and that was it. You recently watched *Tom Jones*? That didn't go so well, did it?
2: It didn't even finish. I'm still <laughs> I'm still rewatching it. That movie sucks. <laughs>
0: And also Around the World 80 Days, another season three movie didn't go so well. That
2: one I watched all of it. It's not good. (laughs)
1: That movie is like being on an
0: elevator. That is 400 (laughs) floors. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, Real quick, we want to throw out recommends. If you liked Beautiful Mind, where would you go next? I'll go first here for this one. I watched a movie this past week that I absolutely fell in love with. It is uh, a Sydney Lumet movie from the late 80s. River Phoenix was nominated for a supporting actor. I watched it on TCM and just really, I mean, we talk about movies that were reducing me to tears. I, I've, I just, a bunch of times in this one, just really choked up. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called Running on Empty. It's a story about a family who is, uh, who basically blew up a, a, a factory of some sort. They're kind of uh, revolutionaries, anti-war revolutionaries who blew up a factory and Seriously injured a a janitor in it, and they're running from the FBI, running from the law. They have two young children on the road, and they're changing identities as they're going from town to town. The story is about the kids growing up and the struggles of a young, a young talented, budding genius uh, who who's a genius through music. He's a he's a, a prolific a prolific musician who could who could potentially go to Juilliard, but he can't he can't necessarily harness and, and blossom his skills because of the nature of his parents keeping the run. So it's the question between, you know, the, the love of family, but learning to let go and, and whatnot. Really, really good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, I was, the, I, the ironic part about this is I'm watching like, oh my God, I got to use this for my next recommend. How can I can relate this to, to Beautiful Minds? And I'm, I'm thinking as I'm going, I'm like, All right, we could do this, we can do that. Um... And then you know, basically, then is the the the, um, the restraint of family and kind of being tied to family and how that affects your your personal life and your passions and w- the things that Jennifer Connelly goes through. Then you know, TCM does the the rundown at the end. You know, where Ben Mankiewicz comes strutting out and he's like, he's, he's like, if you've liked this, but he it goes and he comes in and goes, you may be wondering how this movie ties in with the first movie we showed before this, A Beautiful Mind. I'm like, what? <laughs> when it aired it aired right after Beautiful Mind yeah. and Judd Hirsch was the tie-in, because Judd Hirsch, Judd Hirsch is the, is the main role in this one. simpler than you
3: were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Judd Hirsch is the, is the main actor in this one, too. That, that was yeah. the tie-in. Yeah, I could have just used the Judd Hirsch <laughs> actor, but Yeah, run it, run it on empty. Please go check it out. The wonderful River Phoenix just to, who died too soon, and it's, it was his one Oscar-nominated performance, and he, he crushes it. Absolutely not a supporting actor. It, it, we're one of the most egregious, putting our lead actor and supporting actors that there could be, but terrible car- category for but Artie uh, recommends for beautiful month'
1: There's a movie called Gifted by, with Chris Evans in it. So Chris yeah, Evans yeah. is a, um, his sister ends up killing herself and has a daughter that he inherits and it's his niece. He's very good at math and he puts her in school and like chill with like showing how good you are at math and she ends up, she's a math genius. So the movie is about the mother-in-law trying to exploit the daughter's math genius and him trying to kind of suppress the math genius i just think if you like a beautiful mind which it seems like no one does <laughs> 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 you really like gifted gifted i, I do really like gifted is a, it made me cry a bunch of times it's a really good movie chris evans is actually a really good actor I don't care what anyone says about uh, a stupid Marvel movie. As much smack he's as a good I talk... fucking actor. As
0: much smack as I talk about Marvel, I really do like Chris Evans. He's a good yeah, fucking actor. Yeah, he's I think he's really a character. good really
1: I, yeah. good. I knew
3: that when I watched Not Another Team movie. That's right. Uh, that's gotta, gotta, that's, gotta, gotta that's gotta go. it. Oh, he's, I, dude. <laughs> he did. He, he, I saw he that popped, movie, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's a star. <laughs>
0: He's a star. He was like Ryan Reynolds in Van uh, Wilder. Wilder, right? <laughs> totally.
3: Yeah. Remind you
1: know?
0: me of Zac Efron. Yeah, your recommends for if, if you liked *Beautiful Mind*.
3: So *Beautiful Mind* has Jennifer Connelly winning an Oscar for just an incredible role, and it reminded me of like these incredible female roles that are kind of like the Jennifer Connelly's role in *A Beautiful Mind*. Alicia Vikander in *The Danish Girl*. Right. Hmm. They were talking about these. Usually the males are the are the stars of these films and the females just steal the show. So the Danish girl starring starring Eddie Redmayne, Felicity Jones in Theory of Everything, and Ajnu Ellis who is in King Richard, which is out this year and she got nominated, just brilliant performance. Where you know Will Smith probably should win the Oscar for Best Actor and she should win this Oscar for Supporting Actress because they were both. She was just equal and him with him in that movie and. These are just great. If you like *The Beautiful Mind*, these are good movies to watch, where you get that incredible f- performance as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, and right on brand here because you five five five, five it's *Beautiful Mind* and *Danish Girl is another movie that Twitter hates. So, yeah, you green I love it. Good, good stuff there, though. Uh, Brendan, you recommend if, if you like *Beautiful Mind*? I'm gonna go
2: with a more lighthearted pick. Okay. We think of the trials and tribulations of Alicia and John Nash's life. Now let's step aside, and we'll go to Gross Point Blank with uh, John Cusack and Minnie Driver. Secret job, I guess we'll say, of a hitman, and he goes back to his high school reunion and meets up with Minnie Driver, and that was his his high school sweetheart. And he has to explain to her that he's also on the side of hitman. So. Yeah, fun um, one. Kind of a more
0: lighthearted version of uh, your loved one having an alter, alter ego. <laughs> okay, so there you go. There are recommends. We, as we always say, this is not a who should have won podcast. We do like to discuss the other movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year. So first we have, and Jay's going to read off the, uh, the synopsis on IMDb here. It's In the Bedroom.
3: Summertime on the coast of Maine. In the Bedroom centers on the inner dynamics of a family in transition. Matt is a doctor practicing in his native Maine and is married to a New York-born Ruth, a music teacher. He is involved in a love affair with a local single mother, Marissa Tomei, as the beauty... Of Maine's brief and fleeting summer come to an end, these characters find themselves in the midst of
0: unimaginable tragedy. Well, wow, there we go. And uh, Marissa Tomei said so Tom right. Wilkinson plays the lead. He's nominated for Best Actor in that one. Brendan awesome. Tom Wilkinson from uh, Shakespeare Love, one of your right. favorite movies there. And Michael You're, Clayton. Uh, he's from Michael Clayton he's too. Awesome uh, I that. We Eternal say. Sunshine of Spotless Mind in there too. Yes. Yeah. Has yeah. anyone There's, seen it In the Bedroom? Jay, you seen it? I saw it, but I, for, I did forget been a lot about it. Yeah. But it was. Yeah. Heavy is a heavy movie. Yeah. Um, Sissy Spacek in that yeah. too? Oh, I love Sissy Spacek. She's yeah. powerful yeah. actress. This, yeah? I mean, this you don't act.
1: like Sissy Spacek, huh? I, I don't know. I don't know. Spacek, I haven't seen her in one. Carrie? But didn't you pick Carrie, a... Carrie in the horror tournament? Oh, she's really... She's Carrie? <laughs> oh, oh, she's great <laughs> in
0: Carrie. be <laughs> Beyond Brand. We'll go <laughs> Gosford <laughs> Park next. Gosford Park. Gosford
3: Park. Robert Altman, one of America's most distinctive filmmakers, journeys to England for the first time to create a unique film mosaic with an outstanding ensemble cast. Set in the 1930s, Gosford Park brings a group of pretentious, rich, and famous together for a weekend of relaxation at a hunting resort. But when murder occurs, each one of these (laughs) interesting characters becomes a suspect. Boom. Like there we sounds go. Sounds like
0: each of our podcast recordings. <laughs> Robert Altman. I'm not that. I, I have. I have a hard time taking Robert Altman seriously after seeing the uh, the, the video of J- of John Carpenter just absolutely like slaying him. It's just it's just, it's just, it's just giving a know, casual that. interview to John and They're like, oh, what do you think about this and Robert Altman? He's like, I don't care for Robert Altman at all. <laughs> they're like, oh. He's like, yes, I think he's dreadful. They're like, oh, well, tell us how you really feel, pal. Um, Next up, we have moulin
3: Rouge, In which a young Englishman in Paris of 1899 becomes infatuated with Satine, a singer at the moulin rouge i hope i pronounced that right all we right, <laughs> i'll <that>. take it <laughs> however she has been promised by the manager to a duke in return for funding his next production as the young lovers meet in secret Satine's wedding day draws
0: closer but she hides a
3: fatal secret from both christian and the duke uh, las directed
0: all right we have the cole kidman in this one too uh the the male lead is who ewan i, I McGregor, love is right? ewan mcgregor who's yeah. amazing um i don't I don't want to lose us a lot of followers here I really don't like I'm trying, trying to be very diplomatic I mean, we've come a long way this is our third year of a podcast here but this is just I just I just want to throw this out here it's very late in the podcast most of the people, most of the people who hate us are probably tuned out already but this is my issue with, with, with Twitter and film Twitter a little bit I, I love you all you're great I thank you for your support thank you for have done for us follow us on the Best Picture Cast blah 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 thank you S- seriously Genuinely, thank you for supporting the podcast. Are people talking about Moulin Rouge these days? How is, how is A Beautiful Mind a forgotten, dated slog? What, like, Moulin who, Rouge like, like mm. is Moulin Rouge, does that, like, pop up when you turn on Netflix? Like, I, I mean, like, I feel like there's star power behind, behind A Beautiful Mind. I feel like there's, there's reasons to look back at that. as like this was a, a moment where, you know, people were going to the movie theaters and going to see this. And it, it outdrew Lord of the Rings in a week. Moulin Rouge I mean uh, uh, I mean So I, I can't say Moulin Rouge is is unforgettable
2: because honestly I forgot I saw it Well like, yeah I, I mean that's what I'm saying uh, what though It's, it's just, just like Like what? I said I forgot I'd seen it Now once I remember it i have seen it It's a charming movie And one of the things that that movie has that you know a lot of other things
0: I mean Film Twitter loves it So they love it right.
2: Musicals tend to grab cult groups and, right. and there's nothing wrong with that But it's but it, but it does happen. I mean, Newsies, yeah. has, Newsies is another movie that has a cult group. Yeah, well,
0: Chicago is going to win Chicago's the next year, one. and I think that Moulin Rouge leads into that as I like kind of the. And Chicago's right. one that our group is kind of beaten down pretty good in these rankings here, and Don't Twitter Love Chicago. But so. well, my point being that, that
2: a beautiful mind is not grabbing a cult following.
0: It's, no, it it's Ron as a, Howard. As,
2: yeah, right. It could right. be recognized as a, as a good movie, a great uh. movie, or a forgotten movie. It's never getting cold following.
0: Yeah, it's Ron Howard who's one of the boys. His peers love him. They want to support him. We'll talk a little bit more than we get to our next movie here, which is... Um, and I don't think we need. Do we need to read the synopsis? For, I thought for,
3: the same thing. Do you want
0: to, I, mean, I feel like I'm scared of what the synopsis is going gonna, is gonna to look like, the, as long as the the, the J.R. <laughs> <R>. Tolkien book. <laughs> not a very so. simple one. Oh, okay. <laughs> they surprise me sometimes. For Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring.
3: A meek Hobbit from the Shire and eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful One Ring and save Middle Earth from the Dark Lord
0: Sauron. Okay, Zaron. so where?
1: Sauron. So we're, Sarah.
0: I think in this, this crew is like pretty positive Lord of the Rings crew here. No, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, yeah. I know, I know Brendan and already love it. Jay, big are you a? Fan. I've seen it. I saw it a long time
3: ago. I didn't, I liked it. I didn't
0: hate it. Yeah. I'm not a big fantasy guy in general, so I'll, I'll let you guys geek out on it for a little bit. If you Brendan, I, I know you've been I, itching to talk about it a little yeah,
2: bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of the class, and, I, and I'm going to say it's a class, but I might be alone in this class, uh. of people that think that... I, I don't want the Oscars for this movie. I, mm. I don't think it should have been given to the third movie. It's, it's a it's trilogy in itself. Um, I have a problem with giving a single movie that's a part of a trilogy um, an Oscar. Um, it's it's incomplete on on its lonesome, and and it's I don't know for me, fantasy and sci fi is is set aside in itself as as a realm of its own.
0: Wow, so you're the guy who's so so. There's a lot of like fantasy, fantasy and and sci fi people who are like, oh, the Oscars always ignores the genre. So like, you're. You're you're like. Uh, stay out you, of my job. I don't want an Oscar. Yes, yeah, stay <laughs> yeah. stay away. Stay, stay out of here. Stay no, out of yeah, Don't give down me down the, down. the Oscar. It's like the Kurt Schilling. Like Schilling. If we that's bring it back way, to Kurt right. Schilling, but take me off the ballot, Hall yeah. of Fame. Take me yeah. off the ballot. I don't want to be on your ballot. It's it's that's that. I I kind of like it. Yeah, big call big yeah. I think Diamondback callback. A Diamondback. Oh my god. A Diamondback. Yes. Wow. Okay. I I love that. I love that Brennan. I I mean, yeah. I guess in retrospect. Fellowship of the Ring, maybe should've won the here's, the, here's the kind of the weird Oscar domino effect that happened. Ron, Ron Howard gets snubbed for for the director nominee in the Braveheart year. Okay. Apollo 13 wins like all the precursors leading into it. He doesn't get the director nominee. They wanna like, they wanna now kind of like, all right, we kind of owe Ron Howard one. So that probably led into some some grace into the beautiful mind here. Then it doesn't go to Lord of the Rings. So now we're like, all right, well, we're gonna reward Lord of the Rings for yeah. the third one. Then that wins over Mystic River, and they're like, oh, we just took one from Clint. 70
2: years Shit. later, they're still fixing All right, well,
0: all right Million Dollar Baby's next. All right, we'll give, we'll give Clint one Million Dollar Baby, which I actually think was the best picture that year. Uh, oh, we just took one from Marty, Aviator. Shit, we got to go. <laughs> and <laughs> then Departed is next. So I'm like, and again, I thought Departed was the best movie that year, too. But you see, the problem is when you do that once, you create this system of dominoes where then people start to roll their eyes at the Oscars. So sure. I personally, I, I think that Million Dollar Baby was the best movie that year, at least out of the nominees. I think that The Departed was the best movie of the nominees, so I don't necessarily buy that back half of the narrative. Braveheart over Apollo 13, maybe a conversation for another day, but...
1: And Lord of the Rings, they they did film all three movies at one time, so I do understand giving the award to the third movie as like an homage to the other two movies. And, you know, they did film them all at once. If, it was like one big, long movie they just released over
0: three, four years. A fair point, and as we referenced in last week's episode, The English Patient, one of the men behind the scenes for Lord of the Rings, who was a producer on it, who loved to work the room, was Harvey Weinstein. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Weinstein was talking to people about hey let's reward this the third time you know maybe it doesn't it doesn't have to necessarily go to the first one there's two more coming that narrative you could see them already putting that out with oh you know maybe maybe we wait till the whole story's told maybe it's not just like oh it's good we'll give it to the third one maybe it's like Let's wait and see if these next two can hold up to the first one. It's a weird thing, Brendan, as you said with that trilogy. It's it's hard to it pick one It goes back out. to
2: my argument, and that's and that's that would make sense. That it's someone someone suggesting it who doesn't know movies. They just know the industry, mm-hmm. you know. And and I, I mean, I always think of the, the Randy uh, comment in, in Scream Two. I thought
0: you were it's gonna what, say South Park, but yeah, no, <laughs> I But yeah,
2: no, in Scream Two, when they're they're in the classroom discussing what's the best sequel and and someone brings up uh empire strikes back and he goes no no can't do it that's that's the second part of a three of a, of a trilogy <laughs> it doesn't count as a sequel yeah you know in the same thing you can't award a single movie which is one
0: part of three movies. interesting stuff brennan you're in the room you're in the academy pen to the paper you got to pick a best picture winner out of these five you'll no one will ever know it's a secret ballot you go are you writing down lord of the rings you writing down beautiful mind
2: i'm beautiful mind oh beautiful mind, all the way. I stand by what I said about Lord of the Rings. I don't want them to have it, and they shouldn't want it.
0: Beautiful Minds <laughs> wins it. Cool. I love the I love the um, that 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 alternate take from a Lord of the Rings fan. That's that's fun yeah. stuff. Artie, you're in the Academy, sitting down, pen, and paper. No one will ever know your vote. Who you voting for? Best picture, Lord of the Rings, Beautiful Mind. No one will ever know the answer except everyone listening to this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring
0: Yeah, Fellowship of the Ring Yeah, and I think a lot of people would agree One of the beauties of hosted podcasts is you don't have to answer your own questions So, thank you for listening everyone <laughs> <laughs>
3: This is not what we do here uh,
0: This is not a who should have won podcast, damn it
3: Also nominated for directing that year Ridley Scott for Black Hawk Down And David Lynch for Mulholland Drive
0: David so, Lynch for Mulholland Drive yeah. And Ridley Scott for Ron Black Hawk Howard Down no slouch. Now, I, I threw some shade at David Lynch last week I actually really love Mulholland Drive I think oh, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah it's so. a confusing as hell Movie it's abstract but I'm, I like that he was nominated for a director there. I'm not in love with Black Hawk Down personally. It's Mulholland
3: you know, they driving there. Oh, they're it. snubbing in the bedroom. Is that
0: top? And and, so and Rouge did not get the nominee either. Yeah. Mulholland Two of them.
3: Drive yeah. I get it, but uh, not best picture.
0: Yeah. And remember Ridley Scott it's, it's an doesn't win director for for Gladiator even though Gladiator won best picture. The director went to Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. Traffic. Yes, exactly. Well, everyone, thank you so much for putting up with us raving about a movie that. You may or may not love. We hope you'll Um, watch it again. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting where it comes in in our rankings, because our rankings have... have, have, Season 3, BBC Season 3, The Purge, has put out a bunch of interesting movies out there. But, Jay, Brendan, Artie, thank you so much. I am honestly stupefied, mystified, horrified (laughs) by your presence. Thank you so much. Everybody listening at home... We'll see you next week for the conclusion of season three, another movie that Twitter fucking loves. It's Green Book. We'll see you then.